Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to Book Cheat, the book club podcast where I've read the book so you don't have to. My name is Dave Warnicke and on each episode of this show we look at one of the classics. And joining me to look at such a classic this week from Leguizamarama with Mission Zach, it's Mission Zach. Hello. Thank you. Hello. Thank you so much for having us. It's so awesome. It was very funny. We've been been sitting in the room together for talking for like 10 minutes and you're Dave and you're great. And then as soon as you did your introduction it was like the voice because I listen to your podcast when I drive to work. I was like, oh, I'm in the, I'm in the presence of the famous Dave Warnicky because so, you put your podcast voice on. Thank you. <laughs> is that it? Is that it? Yeah. Am I doing it? Yeah, you're doing it. It's really good. Oh, thank you so much. It's very nice to hear that you listen to the pod on the way to work. Always. Always. I'm also a big fan of uh, of your work, and we've uh, teamed up this week. Mm-hmm. It's a crossover week. It's a crossover. It's week. like a like a like a Marvel movie. These are the weeks that podcasters dream of. Oh my goodness! It doesn't get better than this. Or like a DC, the Arrowverse. DC. I've never watched an episode <laughs> of of the DC Arrowverse, but I imagine this is what it's like when they have crossover mm. series. You know, like when uh, Grey's Anatomy and Private Practice split. Yes. Um, and th- there'd be crossover episodes when Buffy and Angel split. Yeah. You are the angel to our Buffy. Oh, I'm happy with that. So, yeah. like, uh, I'm, so when someone's like, all right, I'm off to, where was Angel set? Fuck, I should know that. Like San I? Francisco or something. Yeah. All right, I'm off to San Francisco. And then they're not. No, New in, York. It was New York. Was it? All right, all right, I'm off to New York. And then, like, they're not in that episode. Lo and behold, Angel, the next day, mm. who comes to New York? Seth Green. Seth Green, who <laughs> yeah. just left Buffy Town. Which is California. <laughs> Those were the best episodes because then you knew. Like when uh, all of a sudden Angel was behind the door, it's like, <gasps> Buffy's going to be on the next episode of Angel as well. Did Buffy go on Angel? I don't think so, actually. But Seth Green definitely did. <laughs> so Seth Green kind of Seth existed Green had across to, both <laughs> Buffy found a ring that Angel wanted. Yeah, and right. so rather than go and deliver it herself or send it via the FedEx, yeah. she sent her friend Seth Green. He that's just became fantastic. like a little messenger boy. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that's what happens with the Arrowverse crossovers is that for like one week, Arrowverse becomes a soap opera and you have to watch it every yeah. night. Because it's like, oh. it's like, so every night of the week is an Arrowverse. I have Arrow- no idea what you're talking about. So Arrowverse is like um, <laughs> Green Arrow. That's what it's named after. I don't know what Arrowverse okay, who is. Else fast we got? Who else we got? Boy. Oh, the Red Boy. <laughs> the Red Boy who's fast. Um, Bat Lady. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all I've got. Okay. I don't. But you know all those ones? Mm. Not as well as I know the book cheat Leguizama Rama crossover. That's what we're doing this yeah. week. So if you listen to both of our podcasts this week, mm. you're going to get a soap opera. To get a soap, soap opera, opera every night. Because, because <laughs> Tuesday night you'd be listening to book cheats. Oh, it's Mission Zach. Thursday night, 
it's the same thing. It's like part two of that's the right. Yeah. podcast. And uh, the we've already recorded and watched the movie. Obviously, you're, I'll explain to the listeners your podcast, Leguizamarama. Mm-hmm. Yep. You pick a movie, yeah. a play, a TV show, something or video game. I believe sometimes yep. music music clips. Yep, that have starred fantastic actor John Leguizamo. That's mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's, that's it. literally it. You did it better than we do. <laughs> If you don't know who John Leguizamo is, he's the guy. You, uh, you what's going to happen is you're about to look him up, you're about to Google him, <laughs> and you're going to do this sound. Oh! <laughs> Genuinely, what happened when Zach told me about the idea and I looked him up? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I, I know that guy. And we just. From. And then, you, you, and then you, whatever you know him from. Yeah. In our mind, this podcast is a celebration of all of those actors. Mm. Um, but really what it is is a loose theme for, as you can guess, probably now, by now, at this point, as we haven't even announced what book you read. <laughs> <laughs> We'll get to it. Love to chat. Yeah, we love a chat. Um, So basically our podcast is very much like this for about an hour and then about a cheeky five minutes on the John film. Yeah, so we'll just talk and talk and talk and then we'll like, so for example, I went through a bit of a one pot pasta phase. And I, I haven't told you, Mish, I'm done with that. I'm of done course with you are, one because pop one pot pasta. Yeah, you hated it, right? One pot pasta is bullshit. And she was right. I just had a bit of a moment. Okay. And I was, I had a moment. I'm done with it. How many pots are you up to now? Two. Okay. I cook the pasta in Separately. One pot. It's own pot. I put the sauce in another and then I use a bit. I, I do exactly what everyone's meant to do. Right. Um, although the other day I did make a cheats lasagna, which is technically a one pot pasta. So I'm back up. <laughs> What's a cheats lasagna? You just break the lasagna sheets into the bolognese sauce and then you put cheese on top and put it in the oven. Oh, why break them? That's literally an extra step. Because it's instead of layering, you just smush it into the... Like you're pushing corn chips in Into something. the sauce. You just It's a pot of sauce. But layering you, seems easier than breaking and chucking. No, because you, you just got a pot of sauce and then you just shove some pasta in there and then you put it in the oh, oven. Oh, so you turn it into like a pappadale. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> So what we'll do is we'll do an hour of this kind of <laughs> great banter. good example. I appreciate yeah. the example there. Um, and then and then and then we'll go. And what do you think of the film? And Michelle go. I didn't like it. And then I'll go. Ah. And you'll know I didn't like it, but I'll just like pretend to like it just in case John Leguizamo is mm. listening. Right. And then uh, we give it a star rating <coughs> or a Leguistamo. Mm. <laughs> and then we move on with our lives until yeah. the next week. Where and we... luckily this week we forced Dave to do all of that shit with us. That's right. And the, But the movie we watched was an absolute pleasure oh. for me. Oh. Uh, a great 90s action movie, Executive Decision. So good. And the reason we did Executive Decision with you was because you contacted Zach yep. one night when you were just watching Executive Decision. You went, you know that bloke you're about to start a podcast about? Ah, I did that whilst it. watching the movie. Oh! And that movie is like a run of that, though. It's got every actor you love. Oh, so good. And Zach said, we're going to save it for you. And we bloody Thank did. you so much for that. And it was an absolute joy watching the film and chatting about it. It was you, great to chat about. So some of the other actors we're talking, David Suchet, Steven Seagal, B.D. Wong. Goldie Horn's boyfriend. Goldie Horn's boyfriend. Exactly. That Halle, guy. Halle Berry. That guy from T2. T- T2 that can't hold the bomb. Not yeah. the tea shop. Not the overpriced <laughs> tea shop. Not the train spotting sequel. <laughs> but the original T2, T2 Terminator yeah. 2. Um, yeah, and we it, it, it was great to have you on. It's coming out this Thursday. Halle Berry. 
Uh, I don't want to presume, I don't want to, like you did tell us in advance, but I'm going to pretend I don't know for the sake of this joke. I can't wait to find out what what, um, book you read this week. I imagine it's something uh, equally dumb, stupid, simple (laughs) and fun. Just pure entertainment, mindless entertainment. Sort of thing you can watch, you don't have to think about, uh, you don't have to do any additional reading. (laughs) I can't wait to find out what it is. We will be reading through the script of Con Air. Oh, that! Oh, Dave, that sounds so good. <laughs> that would be fun, wouldn't it? I haven't seen Con Air. Oh well, but you best believe I want to see. Yeah, Con Air. you want to read the script as well. Oh, bad, <laughs> badly. It's um, a great movie. Mm. So, everyone, I've got some bad news. <laughs> oh, no. oh, I've got some good news. I've got some bad news. Okay. What would you like to hear first? Do you think good to set us up, Mish? Or? Yes, good. Let us know the good news. And then... so, the good news is I've got chippies for everyone. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> We all love chippies. (laughs) The bad news is I had a bit of a moment. I didn't do my maths right. (laughs) And I ordered some dinner because I thought it would get here before the podcast. (laughs) I've got some Uber Eats getting wet in the rain at the door. And I have to leave (laughs) to get it. (laughs) Will you be coming back? Uh, Maybe. (laughs) No, I will. While Zach's away, I'm going to share a secret. Oh, Oh, I like that. See you in a minute. Zach's gone to go get Uber Eats, and now's the perfect time for me to tell everybody (laughs) that Zach hates children. Really? And puppies. No, not puppies. He hates children and puppies. But they're so great. Every, Every day before we record the podcast... He shows me three pictures of puppies <laughs> and three pictures of children and says, guess which one I hate. And I'm like, it's all of them, isn't it, Zach? He's like, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> Every time. Every time. Three different puppies, three different children. And he makes sure that I'm aware. Oh, my goodness. Well, with that information, I don't know if I could ever look at him the same. Oh, no. <laughs> Here's Zach back with his wet chicken. Can I say? Mm, wet chicken. Mm, wet chicken. Can I say, um, do you remember the show Q&A? QI? QI. QI. Q and I. Q and I. Well, QI is still a thing. Yes, but. Do you mean Stephen Fridays? Yeah, well, I just, yeah, no, I, I've said, do you remember, because I used to watch it a lot. I haven't watched it as much uh, in, of, of late. I I did. I've, I'm full of chippies. I got a hiccup coming. Did you eat some chippies I on just, the stairs? I just smashed a <laughs> couple of chippies. How did you out do that? For like Fifteen seconds. That's why I got a hiccup How coming. I ate too fast. <laughs> How many chippies did you eat? Like three chippies. <laughs> oh my god, Zach, take a deep breath. <sighs> I'm gonna have some Pepsi. You know what? <laughs> What secrets was she telling? Do it. Do, wait, just very quickly. Do an ASMR can opening. Oh, this is, oh. <laughs> it's a little orgasm for my ears. <laughs> oh, Dave, I'm so sorry. Hey, no, great to have you on. <laughs> oh my god, what was the secret you told about me? Oh, you'll have to listen to the podcast to find out. Now I've got to smash a couple of gaviscots. <laughs> Washing down Gaviscon with Pepsi? I don't know. (laughs) Zach came upstairs with a wet bag of chicken, the hiccups, a Pepsi, and a packet of Gaviscon. I'm the loosest cunt you'll ever meet. What are you doing? You you can't have a fizzy drink with heartburn stuff, can you? I don't know. That's like washing it down with fucking Passata. Don't do it. Mm. 
I think I've made a terrible mistake. Oh my, it's like having 15 Mentos and then drinking a bottle of Coke. What's going on in there right now? Oh. I don't know, but the hiccups have gone. <laughs> oh, that's so funny, Zach. Um, no, so QI came to Australia a number of years ago. I was still working at a cinema. I wasn't a comedian. I was a a failing actor at the time and um, just out of uni. And uh, a a friend of mine that I worked at the cinema with that I had a bit of a crush on, she got some tickets to um, QI and she said, hey, we should all go in and we should all go to QI Live at the Comedy Theatre. And it was like $200 for a ticket. And I was like, oh, God, uh, yeah, okay. And I went and watched QI Live, um, and it was great. It was like um, like the TV show, but I spent $200 to see <laughs> <laughs> And um, Arj Barker was on the panel, and about halfway through, he said he needed to go do a wee. He, like, raised his hand and asked Stephen Fry if he could go do a wee. And Stephen Fry was like, what? He's like, I need to wee. I didn't know it would go this long. And then he left, and then they just, like, kept going, and then he came back. And I thought that was the funniest thing I've ever seen. And it kind of broke me because in that moment I gave myself permission if ever I became a comedian to like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's funny if I go and get the Uber Eats <laughs> rather than really rude and unprofessional. <laughs> and now I've got the burps. I've ruined Dave's podcast. <laughs> this is very funny. I reckon, yeah, have another Gaviscon. You'll be right. yeah. <laughs> No, I'll have another Pepsi. Have a quick sip. <laughs> so mm. he... <laughs> Were you eating the chicken and the or chips? No, I can't. I couldn't. I just the idea of no. But look, maybe you know what's unfortunate for Zach though. If he chooses to not eat the chicken and chips, firstly that would be the professional choice. But cold chips are foul. No, I reckon we should take a five to ten minute break, which I'm absolutely up for. Because remember last time we did the show, it went for maybe like an hour and a half or something. <laughs> what if we're in for a long one and then you're going to have chicken in the corner for an hour and a half? Yeah, I think that's a good move. I think it's okay. Like I'll occasionally just like do one of these ones where I'll just like slowly pull away from the microphone <laughs> and go, and then pull back in. <laughs> I don't look. I don't. I made I made I made this bed and I will lie in he it. He made this wet chicken bed. <laughs> so as you're listening, I want you to know that I'm sitting next to a delicious chicken. <laughs> the entire time. Every no. time every time that we're on a roll and I I pull it away or I like go off topic, know that I am for the sake of the comedy, for the sake of the fun. Taking myself a, mm. a, a step further from my chicken. And can I just say, Dave, yes, last time we did this podcast, we went for an hour and a half. But no. let it be known that the last time we did this podcast, we weren't professional podcasters. We're and as pro- you can tell now, now, Zach and I are exactly. professionals. You've got your shit together now. So I reckon we're going to do this in a tight 120. <laughs> How long's a typical episode of your podcast? I'm not, 90 minutes isn't too bad. Yeah. Don't worry. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I, because I find, uh, who else here is like, I feel like I listen to the start of most of the podcasts I listen to, but I rarely get to the end. And I think that's okay. That's so unfortunate for Dave's podcast if that's what people are doing right now. They're like, <laughs> they, they, they'll tune out at Wet Chicken. <laughs> No, I listen to a fair chunk, but I listen to, like, long po- – I love these sorts of podcasts, mm. like the long kind of just people chatting. Good for a road trip. Yeah. And then sometimes I'm like, oh, I left that. You know, I'll be halfway and then I'll come back. I'm like, oh, I don't need to. Yeah, it's been too long. It's mm. been to too long. It up now, yeah. And then it's like – anyway, I was just wondering what other people's podcast listening habits are. <laughs> so 
I'm a, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I'm so sorry. Let's let's get on with it. Are you, what if I made an executive decision to, to stop this podcast? Wow. So you can eat. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, we'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> right after these messages. Hey, everyone. Whilst Zach eats that sweet, sweet, tasty chicken, I thought I'd take the opportunity to remind you that uh, you can support this show on Patreon. Patreon.com slash DoGoOnPod is the place for that. And you can get up to three bonus episodes a month from me, Matt, and Jess from my other show, Do Go On, as well as all sorts of other rewards. But really, the bonus is knowing that you're supporting this book cheat podcast. So if you want to do that, Patreon.com slash DoGoOnPod. All right, I think Zach's a pretty quick eater. Let's check in how he's going. And we're back. <laughs> and we're full of chippies. Wow. How were those chippies? Oh, they were really I good would have been. I would have held a meeting with Zach before we record our next podcast this week just to discuss how inappropriate this was <laughs> if, if he hadn't shared his chippies. Yeah, you sh- you're a good sharer. Yeah, but like almost like he overcompensated. Like he, the guy got a regular chippies and yeah. literally let Dave and I split them. Dave yeah, had how three. How many did you have? I didn't have many chippies because um, I... F- guilt. <laughs> because of guilt. Because I felt bad because this is an unprofessional thing to do. And I just want to say to Dave, to Mish, to your listeners, um, I'm so sorry. Uh, uh, This is not the sort of tomfoolery and unprofessional (laughs) attitude that Mish and Zach are are trying to cultivate as a brand. I've taught him better than this. (laughs) (laughs) If you... If you, um, it, this is not, if you want to come and give Mission Zach's leg with Zamarama a go, um, this is not the sort of, to- we are on topic all the time. <laughs> we eat our wet chicken before we yeah. pod. Do you usually have before meals before pod. the podcast? Yeah. No, usually. I usually wait till after, which is a really, stu- like today, the reason I ate yeah. so many of Zach's chippies is because I was like, oh, I'll have dinner after the pod. Oh my goodness. And I'm so sorry. You, you know, when you're hungry, but you don't recognize how hungry you are, hungry you are mm. until you have like one chippy. Oh, yeah, you've and then you're the like, seal. I, you break your seal and Sober. all you want is a fucking all the chippies. <laughs> so I ate about three quarter of Zach's chippies and I ain't even ashamed of it. No, that's okay because I, here's the trick. Here's the thing. Here's the vig. I always knew the chippies were going to come when they were going to come. <laughs> and I thought to myself, <laughs> I got hey, you, you see? I didn't want chippies. I just wanted a chicken burger. But I thought if I get some chippies, I'll just throw them that way and no more anger. <laughs> now, that's not true. I mis- I miscalculated. It's fine. But I don't have the right to say that. It's not my fault. <laughs> it so- is fine. Um, well, <laughs> let's find out if it's fine um, through the philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> well, the book this week, which I'm sure the listener must know by now because it was written on the on the cover of the pod, but uh, we are talking about The Outsider or The Stranger by Albert Camus. Ooh. Oh, wow. I think exactly the kind of complex exploration of morality that we need <laughs> after I've done something that some would say was immoral. <laughs> Some would say that Albert Camus is the wet chicken of the play industry. I'll put it up there. Um, that's so far. I knew we knew we knew you told you knew, us. I did tell you uh, previously, and I believe Mish doesn't have too much. You did back- tell us a few days ago when we recorded our pod. But but I didn't look it up. I don't know anything about this play. My only 
experience a- with Camus is that there were some theatre wankers at high school, like real theatre wankers, that would be like, do you want to go to Subway for lunch? And one of them would genuinely reply with, Camus for shoe. <laughs> That's not a joke. You're was, making that up. No, and I was for shoe. I like for it. sure. They'd be like, ah. Camus for shoe. Ah. And I, even I, as a little fuckhead, thought that that was lame. That was a bit, was a bit too wanky. Yeah, um, that was too wanky for me. Do you know how I know Mish doesn't know a lot about Albert Camus' La Trangère? <laughs> Why? Because it's not a play. <gasps> oh, yes, usually I get you to do plays, but this time it's not. Oh, it's not a play. Here's a bit of a twist, because we, because we both went to drama school, we usually do plays, but no, it's a book. The oh. reason I know it, if you wanted to say... Yeah, 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 it, you do have a background with this is not because it was a play I did at drama school. It's because we had to do a literature unit. I don't know if you oh. did because you were a couple of years below me. Did you do the literature unit? Yeah, we had to do it, but I, but I didn't. <laughs> like I was, I was there, but no, I, I don't <laughs> remember anything. study the, well, maybe the book. The, I guess the school, the school wank, the theatre the theater wankers, they might have been literature wankers then. Right. Well, Camus for shoe. You know, Camus for shoe. <laughs> they might have been trying to get a robust uh, literary base for their performance. Oh. Well, that's I'm, I'm, that's my fucking bit done. I'm an idiot. I genuinely thought that you'd bring us on for a play. Why have you got me here for a book? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? You'll be great. You know, you know, you'll be great. And and Zach, do you? How much do you reckon you remember from? So this is this time? really worrying. I'm really, really, really worried because um, uh, people that listen to our podcast know like the biggest risk for me is like when I get like. When I get a little highfalutin, I can come off very wanky. I can get very, very wanky very quickly. Doesn't matter what the topic is, I can get very like, no, well, actually, cinema. And um, that's my greatest worry is is I I studied this book in first year university in an, like in a literature subject I didn't want to be studying. I just wanted to learn acting and performance and theatre and stuff. So it was on the side. I got a perfunctory knowledge of the book. I learned a little bit about it. And now it's 10 years later. So I reckon I'm going to be the worst kind of person, an actor who thinks he knows what he's talking about. And just fundamentally doesn't, and it's going to be bad. I'm going to be like, yes, actually, that was the theory that he developed. And I don't, I won't, I don't. Okay. Uh, All right, but I've got one question, and that is, yes or no, truthfully, have you ever said Camus for shoe? Was that you? Uh, Was that you that said Camus for shoe? (laughs) Or was it Dr. Zoo? Or were you the kind of person who would have said that? Uh, would I have said, well, yes, you know yes. I was. Um, I just wanted you to admit that to yourself. But I never said <laughs> You remind me every time we see each other. It's like, it's like, I was like, hey, Mish. It's like, you were a real wanker, weren't you? <laughs> Jeez, you were a wanker. Now we've got university. that out of the way. <laughs> um... Was I the type? I, I was the type. I was the type that said that. It's it's a fun story at our university um, because this book, the French title is Le Tranger or something like that. I'm probably saying it wrong, which can kind of translate either which way. It can kind of translate as the stranger or the outsider. Or even the foreigner I've seen. Places. That's absolutely ah. true, yeah. So it, can ki- it, it doesn't have a really great direct translation. And one of the translations is the outsider. And um, 
because it was studied at our university and at our res, our hall, like our residential halls, our what we'd call res, where where you stay lived on campus. Um, you couldn't take glass outside because of like accidents, so they gave us plastic cups as part of our O week, and those plastic cups were called the outsider, or they were called outsiders. <laughs> I stole one when we lived together. Yes. I, th- I think it was yours or Sam's. I have it. No, I have mine still, so it was probably I stole, Sam's. I stole Sam's. So um, so I, I, not only do I know this work and, and, and all that it means, I also have drunk um, uh, goon wine from a plastic <laughs> cup that can, that can I think it can... Like a good half litre. good half litre of goon in there. You yeah. can, <laughs> <laughs> it's big. It's been named after the work of... <laughs> so that's true. Yeah, like, that's the insight you get here. Wow. That's true university wanker mm. is getting pissed off a cup named yeah, after this right. book. <laughs> you've like you've literally drunk in the text. Yes, oh, absolutely. That's so funny. Oh my goodness. Just a bunch of uh like <laughs> Phys ed, like student, like physio students, just like, oh, you know that elective we had to do. <laughs> Let's name the cup after it. Um, quite cleverly, because it was a cup you took outside. So <laughs> it works on two levels. It's almost as brilliant as the book itself. <laughs> well, a few people I reckon would be excited that I'm doing this because a lot of people have suggested it. Mm. So you can suggest I do a book. There's a link in the description of this episode if you want to do that. And thanks to, uh, and these people from all over the world, Aidan Nell from South Africa, Matt from Syracuse in the United States, Spencer Ooh. Roloff in Michigan, Alex Chom close at home in Melbourne, Marcio Mellard from Argentina, Precious Lee, what a great name, from Los Angeles. Aaron Christian from Kentucky. Catherine S. from Frederick. I don't know where that is. Mm. And uh, a previous guest and man behind the fantastic podcast, Human Ordinary, Sam Loy, also asked that I do this. So thank you very much, uh, Sam. And to all those those great people out there. Wow. Do you only do classic texts? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. So you've not done Animorphs then? (laughs) (laughs) I'm so tempted. You haven't done the Spot series, have you? I mean, that's classic enough. Yeah, I'd say so. But, but, but like, could you just give yourself a week off and read, like, The Very Hungry Caterpillar, which I would classify as classic. I reckon that is classic enough. Could you do that? Or is that not your vibe? I could. I mean, I tried to give myself a week off last time by I did a poetry cheat where I read out three poems. Oh, that's oh, a good And then we sort of went through them and their meaning a bit. Yeah, that's good. Do you, what, What's the closest to a picture book have you done? Have you done a graphic novel? No. You should do Watchmen. A few people have actually asked for yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. There you go. Just do that one? <laughs> yeah, do Watchmen. Zach's suggesting Watchmen. I'm still on the very hungry caterpillar. Gr- yeah, that would be really, really easy. Yeah. We would come back if I'd you did come back hungry for caterpillar. We'd, We'd st- read it as well. <laughs> We'd yeah. still get two hours out of it. <laughs> We've got, you know, let's ask your listeners right now. If 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 they can't Dave were to do, <laughs> That's not they, can, they can call in. Call in. They can call in. They can, they call can in. go via your patron. Oh, they can, they can yep. probably tweet it. Tweet, tweet it. Me. Tweet. tweet. Book cheat pod. If you want to see Dave do a live reading of The Very Hungry Caterpillar mm. with Zach and Mish, we'll do it. We'll do it. <laughs> and we will. We will I, don't, do it. I don't know if I'll do it. Well, I'll, come on, you'll no, do it. Get, I'll get you your You are Zach. You've gone live and read the B-movie script, for God's sake. <laughs> and you are us. You're Zach. not above The Very Let's, Hungry Caterpillar. <laughs> don't, don't think for a second that Dave and I haven't forgotten about that wet chicken incident. <laughs> <laughs> you owe us up to the chicken. I, just, I was like, I'll get, I'll get your people to talk to my people. Like, just get, I'll get Matt Stewart to talk to Mish. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if we can work something out. 
All right, oh, if people want it, they'll, they'll be able to let us know. Yeah, they will. Yeah, for sure. They'll find a Get way. Get in contact. They'll find a way, like like the like the um, life on Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of philosophical stuff we'll be getting from that corner today. I reckon. Yeah, this is really great. The fucking oh, right side like... of this podcast studio is on fire. <laughs> All right, well, uh, Zach is he's warming up so much he's taking his jumper off. I'm over disrobing. There. <laughs> Go on. Let me tell you the uh, Latranger, as you were saying, also known is the outsider in British English and the stranger in American English. So there's the. Predominant, uh, predominant, predominant. What? It's oh, a word. What just happened? Predominant yeah. uh, translations, and so that's why it's different. Uh, you know, it has these different meanings. But it's a novella by French author Albert Camus, first published in 1942. Uh, the novel is considered a classic of 20th century literature and is on many greatest of the century lists. Mm-hmm. Uh, its author Camus, who was 29 when it was published, was born. I know. I, know you said. <laughs> I hate that. Yeah, I really I hate, hate that. that. Yeah. He, he was born in the country that had set Algeria before moving to France at the age of 25. Um, and during the Second World War, he joined the resistance movement during the occupation. And after the, the liberation, was a columnist for the newspaper called Combat. He then produced and wrote plays and essays. And Camus' views contributed to the rise of the philosophy. Uh, philo- <laughs> I'm not doing well reading today. Philosophy. <laughs> he was a big philosophical fan. <laughs> Who isn't? Who isn't, though? Put me down. I said I didn't know anything about this man, but everyone knows that. Yeah. (laughs) He loves falafel in bread. Falafel and also philosophy, uh, his thing is known as absurdism, which is Mm. based on the belief that the universe is irrational and meaningless and that the search for order brings the individual into conflict with the universe. So, like, it's absurd that we try and find meaning in things. Mm. Yeah. I know. I'm I'm a part of an absurd sketch group. (laughs) I studied... I study. You get it. I get it. I get it. I, I do absurd sketch comedies. He gets it. Yes. You're carrying on the great work of Albert Camus. Yeah. What were you going to say? I'm so sorry. You studied. You I don't studied. know. I'm, I'm mates with them. Yeah. <laughs> I know some guys that do an absurd sketch group. So yeah. um, I should say at this point, first fact, Zach Rowan can say mm-hmm. this, the concept of absurd here is different to the concept of absurd that Godot, like that people critics talk about when they talk like about a Samuel Beckett, Godot, player. a Samuel Beckett or a rhinoceros kind of vibe, mm. also different to absurd comedy. But I would argue you could find parallels because I'm a wanker. Anyway, go on. Um, I'll just quickly <laughs> different concept. This is my first fact. Uh, mm. This book was released in 1942, which happens to be year, the year that Joe Biden was born. Oh, wait, no wait way. really makes you think yep. that he is too old. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's old. And he, that happens to also be the same year as Martin Scorsese, Jimi Hendrix and Roger Ebert. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you're welcome to think. That, Carry on. Um, can I just say, isn't that insane to think that uh, Joe Biden has never known a world without the concept of the absurd? <laughs> Wow, man. Wow. That's how, that's how long he's been alive. Wowie. <laughs> uh, Camus was celebrated in his life becoming the second youngest winner of the Nobel Prize for Literature, being just 44 when he was awarded that. Is that young to win a Nobel Prize? Very, I imagine very so, young, yeah. yeah. Okay. And I, I did hear um, a, uh, a Camus expert talk about how he actually panicked when he got the award because in his mind they're usually uh, uh, saved for old men and women. And he mm. thought, do people think uh, that that's all I can do? I've got heaps to... Heaps to give. Usually get it in your 70s and your 80s. But he got it at 44. Rudyard Kipling is the youngest, got it at just 42. Good for Rudyard Kipling. Good for him. Good for you. 
Uh, tragically, though, the life of Camus was cut short when he was killed in a car accident just a few years later at the age of just 46. Well, lucky he got it at yeah, 44. No, he got it. That's two years of happiness. Like, you can't complain. Yeah, and I think you use that money because you get quite a lot of money. These days it's about a million dollars if you win the, that sort of prize. And uh, I think you use that money to move away from Paris. Didn't really like Parisian people very much, apparently. And move to the countryside with that money. So... Hopefully he did live it up. A car accident. His publisher was driving and he also died. I thought you you said that. I thought you were going to say that he spent the money on a car. (laughs) (laughs) It's a new car. (laughs) You get a million dollars, a new car, and a year's worth of uh, wake-up from Anastasia. (laughs) It's the Nobel Prize. Everyone wants to win it. um, Have you seen the film The Wife? I think it's called The Wife with Glenn Close about uh, the wife of a man about to win the Nobel Prize. Very good. I don't want to give anything away. It's one of those ones. But I reckon if you like listening to people talk about Alba Camus, uh, Mm. The Outsider, then you're going to like that film. I'm going to make an assumption. If you're listening to this, you will like that film. I want to give away. So listeners also like The Wife with Glenn Close. Have you ever seen the movie Hook? Uh, yes, I have. Yeah. Glenn Close is in that. Now, are you oh. as confident that the listeners to this podcast are going to like Hook? Yes. Okay. Okay. Sure. Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, who doesn't like uh, Rufio eating uh, pa- uh, uh, colourful pie? Oh, pies. <laughs> it was a fun movie, wasn't it? It was. It was a very fun movie, but I haven't seen it in so long. Me either. And I, I worry that I've got all these like feelings towards it and that if I were to rewatch it, all the kind of critical opinion of the time would be proven right. And I kind of just want to sit with how much I love that movie. Yeah. That's how I feel about the movie Jawbreaker. Mm. I really liked the movie Jawbreaker in my late teens and I rewatched it during lockdown of tw- the famous lockdown of 2020. <laughs> and it's a shit film. Damn it. Really but then bad. we rewatched um we rewatched Romeo and Juliet as a yeah. part of our Leguizamarama screenings at Lido and I, I loved it more than I ever did. I Same. thought it was more layered and deeper than I realized as a teenager. Mm. Not like Jawbreaker. No, not like Jawbreaker. <laughs> Anyway, but, but Hook, Hook must have a few meanings that you've I've, been I've, overlooking all these years. I think I could look, watch Hook again and confidently say I still like that film. I just can't remember it well enough. I, surely it's a beautiful concept. Yeah, it's the idea of like Peter Pan coming back. Yeah, yeah. and Robin Williams is lovely. Isn't he lovely? He's dead. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Whoa. here we go. Moving Whoa. on. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> well, we, we always start with the opening line, and uh, The Outsider has quite a famous one. Yeah, I can't remember it. Do you see this joke? <laughs> see see oh, this joke to memory. Bodes well. <laughs> Mother died today, or maybe yesterday. I can't be sure. Yeah, good line. I don't, rem- I don't know, but it's kind of good. Uh, and it also continues, that's the, the famous bit, but it also continues for a bit more context. The message from the home says, Your mother passed away. Funeral tomorrow. Deep sympathy. Which leaves the matter doubtful. It could have been yesterday. And we're off. Wow. Okay. Wowie. We've just heard. Well, you're from- in it straight away. There's no waffly bullshit, is there? It's not a waffly book from No. Me. It's like, it is. Fires through. Yeah. It is just like, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened, the mm. end. And you're like, okay. And then, and then your lecturer tells you what it meant. And you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Oh, yes, yeah, very good. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, we've just heard from a main character and narrator, Marceau, a man of about 30 living in Algiers, the capital of Algeria in northern Africa. At the time, Algeria was French Algeria and ruled by France. And like Camus, our narrator is a French-speaking white man living in Algeria. Yeah, okay. right on. Interesting that Rajad Kipling um, also won the Nobel Prize at young, a young age. The two youngest are both, like, sort of did stuff about... No, Rajad Kipling didn't do stuff about colonialism. Ah, well, living in Africa, I believe, yeah. Mm. Yeah, he was a bit colonial Anyway, carry on. <laughs> Carry on, no point here. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> so Marceau gets a message uh, via telegram about his mother's death, and which is in an old person's home in Marengo outside of Algiers. So to go to the funeral, he has to ask for two days off from his boss, who makes him feel bad about it. Oh, Bit of yeah. a bad boss. And Marceau says, it's not my fault, and then he regrets saying that. Yeah. Can I just ask, Is it uh, was the old people's home in Rango, did you say? Morango. Oh, I thought you said Rango. <laughs> I thought that, that his <laughs> mother died whilst watching the film Rango. Rango. <laughs> <laughs> the Gorvabinsky animated feature Rango. <laughs> No, Marengo makes more sense. Well, it, it's so ki- funny. It's killed before and it'll kill again. Maybe I've always said that. Um, if you like this podcast, you'll love Rango. <laughs> <laughs> so he catches the bus to this old folks home where he meets the director of the place who tells him that he uh, shouldn't feel bad for sending his mother there as it, it was the best place for her. And the guy's like, well, I didn't really feel bad, but okay. And the narrator is told that his mother's casket has already been sealed, but only half sealed. They can open it up for him to see her one last time if he likes. And they're shocked when Marceau says, no thanks. I wouldn't want to see my dead mother. Yeah. At the time, they're like, they think this is callous, that they don't, he doesn't want to at least see, look her in the face one more time. I think it's a, what a horrible thing to force someone to see their dead relative. And in this moment, Mish, you understand <laughs> the absurd. <laughs> Also, it's very wow. hot. She's, she's not going to be looking good in there. There's a, it's a very hot climate. Yeah. yeah. Oh, she's not going to be looking in there. Warm. Can you sweat if you're dead? Can you sweat if you're dead? Mm, probably not. I'll look it up. Carry on. No, but you can sort of rot away, though, can't you? Yeah. yeah. I remember when I, I read this book, they were like, wasn't like you didn't just have internet on your phone? Like it was 2008 and you did, like you, I just had Nokia and I remember like not really knowing much about Algiers. Like I didn't know a lot about Algeria and the French. Like I knew it like a bit but like not a lot. Mm. And there was like some sorely needed context. I was like where are they? What's exactly going on? Sure, sure, but sure. But now you would just like do a quick wiki have a bit of a read, carry on reading. By the time you're, like, getting ringtones from Jamster. Yeah. <laughs> Get any wiki on that. I was like I, I like, I would love to know more about the sociopolitical context of Algiers in 1942, but that would be, like, a long walk to the computer lab. Like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to slip in here really quick. I'm assuming there's a lot of silly bitches like me who just assumed you couldn't sweat after you died. Can I, can I say before you go on... My official position is not for long after you die. Do you have an official position, Dave? Official position. Mm. No. My official position before I looked it up was, no, you don't sweat after you die. But listen to this from the dying process on the ABC website. As people near death, their limbs, hands and feet get cold and the colour of their skin may change from a healthy pink to a sallow grey or mauve 
tinge. Sometimes their skin can get clammy and their hair plastered down with sweat. As they're dying. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. I I, I feel like that's the ultimate um, diverge. Like, have you ever had someone take your podcast so off topic that they've started doing their own report? (laughs) (laughs) Does a dying person feel hot? You can really fall into a Google... But this does have context, I guess, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, but do you know what I... say it on topic. I'm going to, like, I feel like it's very fun to, like, start doing our own reports. (laughs) I'm going to interrupt your report, not with a witty (laughs) remark, but my own report about the death process. (laughs) (laughs) We always wonder, like, how does it go so long? (laughs) I'm so sorry, Dave. No, so, but, it's my fault. But we don't have an answer if you sweat after you, you're dead. I couldn't find it. I found a list of, like, what what do you feel like when you're about to die? And it's like, tired. Your legs start to hurt. Oh, you're like, no. It's like, that's me. Oh, and I'm tired right now. That's like me walking up a flight of stairs. These stairs are going to kill me. Yeah. A, there was, I remember reading once the idea of, like, can you, um, do you, like, can you, do you stay alive after your head gets chopped off? If your head gets chopped off, are you still alive no. as a head? For seconds, for moments, like a chicken, like like a chicken, like like yeah. While the blood is still pumping, does a decapitated head have moments of being a conscious? Oh living my god, being? that is the grimmest thing I've no. Well, you'll never know because everyone that well, is fully try. decapitated dies. They can't come back and say, but maybe "Oh, they I could was be alive like, for a moment." Oh, yeah. What they need to do is to find someone who is willing to sacrifice their life to discover that. So, like, you cut and then the second it's cut, you say, I can feel it! <laughs> I'm telling you, I feel it! <laughs> then they're gone. But then we'll know and then they're like, like, let's just say the person's name was John mm-hmm. and that will always go down in history as the John effect. The John! Yeah. The okay, John. I'm here. <laughs> Ow, my neck! <laughs> you just got to make sure you cut lower than the voice box. Yeah. That's yeah. The oh, no. Thing. Yeah. You'd, thinking get, a, it, you'd not... get a professional to do it. Yeah. Quick, blink it out. <laughs> <laughs> it was three blinks. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> we didn't agree on what three meant. It was one or two. <laughs> Fuck. God damn it. Um, so... so he refuses to see the body. Okay. Uh, and this is the first exam- example of Marceau not acting as those around him expect someone who should be in mourning to behave. Mm. I like you. I'm, I personally don't know if I'd like to see my dead mother's body, but back then they're very keen for him to see it. He spends the night keeping vigil over the coffin and people shuffle in and out crying, but Marceau himself doesn't shed a tear. He's more annoyed by the other people coming in, to be honest. Mm. He's okay. sort of sitting up in a chair whilst the, the dead body's in a coffin, nodding off. And these people, this is annoying. Uh, the, the next day is the funeral, and Marceau meets the only resident of the old folks' home who's allowed to attend the funeral, and that is Thomas Perez, a man who grew very close to Marceau's mother, and other residents even joked was her fiance. Oh. Bit of a romance oh. in the old folks' home. Do we know how the mother died? No, like old age. No, I think it's just old age. Okay. She saw. She knew for the briefest moment what it, what it was. The absurd. <laughs> <laughs> You're really giving the listeners what they want. Anyway. Like, 
Uh, the funeral was a long and winding procession through the through the heat to a local village. Thomas Perez, the old man or the fiance, can't keep up and keeps taking shortcuts across the field to try and stay close. Oh my boy! Which made me laugh. <laughs> so he's like, I'll just cut through another field. <laughs> See you over there. See you in fifteen to twenty minutes. <laughs> I get that though. I do. Uh, yeah, it, I and it's, it's bloody hot, and the sun beams down on all of them. And it's a catch twenty two for Marceau because a nurse tells him that he will get sunstroke if he walks too slowly, but will work up a sweat and catch a chill in the church, which is cold if he walks too quickly. He writes, "There was no way out." A, a middle paced walk, or cut across a field, or you cut across a field, <laughs> or you cut across a field. Uh, Marceau was asked how how old his mother was, and he responds that he doesn't know her exact age. Again, this perceived callousness seems to shock others. Well, I mean, they don't really know the nature of their relationship. Maybe him and his mother didn't have a very good relationship. And these people, other people in the field, sound very judgmental. They are. They're very judgy. I think what um, Camille is saying there is that we, in this moment, see what it is to live in the The absurd. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. What you're saying there, Mish, is actually, <laughs> yes, I hear what you're saying. It is um, possible that they're all just a room of very judgmental people. But I believe that Camus <laughs> is trying to make us have a deeper look at uh, the absurd. <laughs> <laughs> just just that. Like, I've got one uh, thing. I've got one thing. And just, like, I'm unrelentingly <laughs> just <laughs> saying that's the point. Like in your lecture theatre, you just keep popping up your hand and your teacher's like... I know what you're going to say, Zach, <laughs> and that is not right for this bit. <laughs> Were you the kind of person at uni that would be active in lectures and shoots? In shoots, yes. Yes, I'm, I'm, I uh, speak uh, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, I, 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 when I think a thought, I often say it at exactly the same time. Yeah. So, yeah, I often would talk in shoots. You're, you'll be the first one to lose your head and say, I'm still here! Yeah, yeah, I would definitely be like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, I've lost my head. <laughs> Where's my body? <laughs> but in the opening chapter, we've already hit on two key themes or recurring motifs of the novel. The first is Marceau and how he reacts to events in a way that society finds strange. Bit of an outsider, if you will. Mm. He is frequently indifferent to others, and his emotional responses to events are seen as a bit atypical. And the other is the weather. Nature, and particularly the sun, it's so hot in Algeria and it seems to often overwhelm Marceau, giving him a sort of sensory overload. Mm. So he's sweating, the, it's too bright, it's too hot, and that keeps happening throughout the novel to him. I get it. When I lived by myself in Abbotsford in Victoria, Melbourne, um, I lived in a little brick-fronted one-bedroom apartment. It was cheap and shit, and it didn't have air con, and it was on the third floor. Oof. And I used, to, I used to sweat. And lose my little fucking mind. So I get it. In the night? It's like I'm there. You get it. Yeah. I used to have to take really, really... So, like, when it was, like, 45 degrees at night, I would take an ice-cold shower. Like, ice-cold. I'd have a wet towel. (laughs) I would run butt-naked, dripping wet to my bed. And by run, I mean my apartment was so small, it was, like, three steps from the (laughs) shower to my bed. Um, I would then lie down, I'd cover myself in the wet towel and I'd fall asleep and I'd wake up in like a weird dry sweat. Oh, no. It would all dry That's up. how I lived for a and year and a half. And would you repeat? Always. <laughs> Always repeat? Always repeat. Anyway, I'm just saying I, I understand. Yeah, it's I, too hot. 
This is the problem with colonization is we we went to places that were too hot for us. Yeah, he is really struggling. French yeah. people shouldn't be yeah. in Algiers. Oh, no. The Irish shouldn't be in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> That's really the point here. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what Camus Camu was saying here? Yeah, like, I think Camus was like, we should stay in the cold places. <laughs> <laughs> Leave these countries to the people that started them and we go back to where it's nice and cold. <laughs> well, he returns to his apartment in the city and realises why his boss was so annoyed at him for taking two days off. Because the time off ran into the weekend and now he gets four days off in a row. It's a classic long weekend. Yeah. Oh, He's taken a Thursday, is, Friday. Yeah. Um, this is, yeah, it's, I think he was the first true or Aussie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. When I would um, have to book appointments, like if I had to go to the doctor or whatever, I'd always book it for a Friday or a Monday. Because, like, you get the whole day off. No, I love that. But it's only an hour out of your day. So you technically get, like, a three-day weekend yeah. with just, like, one-hour commitment. That's, that, that's, that's not, that's just smart. And, that's what, just and all he had to do was lose his mother. Yeah, exactly. Easy. Well, he goes to the beach on the weekend and runs into an old colleague, Marie Cardona, who he got oh, on really. Uh, I know. The way on... you said that makes me think it's going to get really hot, oh. really quick. Well, he used to get on really well with her when they worked together, and he reckons that they would have even dated if he if they hadn't stopped working together. One of them left. Uh-huh. Which I thought sounded optimistic, but the surprise reconciliation actually goes well, and they swim together and then flirt, and they go and see a movie, and she's like. What? Your mum was buried yesterday? Okay, that's weird. Anyway, goes back to his place, and throughout the book, she becomes his girlfriend. Beautiful. Yes. What a beautiful love story. Well... And yet, Zach, go on. No. Well, no. So far, yes. But I'm curious to hear his reaction to all of this. Marceau's reaction to all of this, because I think his reaction will be slightly different to what we as a society (laughs) expect from him. Perhaps perhaps he is experiencing a strange (laughs) feeling, a feeling that one could only describe as absurd. (laughs) (laughs) If the the run-up to that could get longer and longer. (laughs) Every time you think maybe I'm going to offer something of substance. This is great. Here we go. He remembers something from that lecturer. This is going to be good stuff. No, do you know I remember? I don't want to. Like I remember um, the context of this book, and that he wrote essays, and I remember having to read his essays as well, Camus' essays as well. But I feel like we'll get to that. One of his famous ones, but before this is the myth of Sisyphus. The myth of Sisyphus. Yeah, he and 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 he described, and we'll get into it. But he described this book because he's a philosopher as as much as he's an author, and he described the myth of Sisyphus as his essay to describe, to describe the what it, what the absurd is, and he wrote that the novella to convey the feeling of the absurd. So he was like, he wrote the essay to describe the philosophy and he wrote the book to convey the feeling. And that was a really, like, honestly quite a seminal concept for me of, like, art doesn't need to serve the purpose of teaching, of, like, being didactic, of, of, like, of making a point. All it has to do is convey the feelings of those things. Essays, politicians, all those other things are there. Art just needs to give you a feeling that of was, that was very good. of the absurd. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, I heard a, a, a 
Camus expert that I listened to a podcast on talk about how even at a young age he decided in advance that he was going to write an essay and then a book and then a play. And then, really? yeah, laid that out. And he did that. And Good obviously... That's great. Quite Setting y- goals for himself. Quite young too. I'm proud of him. And lucky he did, lucky he said, because he um, sadly had the tragic early death. But now I've been doing some research. Great. Now... Mish, on the John Wick episode of Leguizamo Rama. Good. Mm-hmm. Let me take you back. Michelle Brazier was the guest. I remember. You said you can't understand when people have armchairs in their bedroom. Oh, <laughs> Dave! I could talk for hours. And she will. Get ready. Yeah, here for we it. go. Here we go. I have a real issue with people who have chairs in their bedroom. <laughs> Because you don't use them. No, like they're, right. they're, it is I don't give a fuck. Excuse my language. Can we swear on this pod? Sure. I don't know why I'm sure checking thing, now. You're fucking crazy. Thanks, Dave. It's absurd. Um, I don't care <laughs> I don't care how big a person's bedroom is. I don't I don't care how rich you are if you have enough money to purchase a, an armchair. Like a beautiful chair. Yeah. It it should never go in your bedroom because you don't use it. It is wasted money. It is just there for no fucking except to put your laundry. It on. It becomes just a part a thing to put one hundred on one hundred percent. I'm not going to fight her on this. This is this <laughs> is her. you've had this battle. Hey, before. let me tell you, climbing that hill is Sisyphean. <laughs> <laughs> I get really mad about it because I don't think that there is a defence. Like I, it fills I, the space. I think it's a, it's an aesthetic choice. But you can fill the space. It's a decorative chair. No, but so you can fill the space with something beautiful. You can't sit on a painting, but it looks nice. <laughs> yeah, but you don't sit on the chair. The purpose of the chair, the reason the chair was built, is it, it goes to shit if you put it in your bedroom. Like that's what I mean. Like if you if someone went to went to town to make a fucking chair for you, mm-hmm. it is for you to sit in. And if you put it in your bedroom, you do not sit in it. But maybe the issue here, Mish, is you're asking the chair to be only what it was designed to be. Perhaps the chair can be something else. Perhaps it can be a space filler, a piece of decoration, the uh, promise of a life where one day you might sit in that corner and read the newspaper. You don't. You don't sit in your bedroom in the corner to read a newspaper. You sit in your lounge room in the chair you sit on the balcony in the chair Mm. you sit outside under your tree fucking in your chair you don't sit (laughs) you have to have an armchair in the backyard 100 i I would much rather someone have an armchair in a backyard than in a bedroom (laughs) what if i put a sculpture in the corner of my bedroom cute what if i put a beautiful sculptural piece in the corner beautiful what if that sculpture was a life-size replica (laughs) of a chair Well, that's fine because it's, it's not designed to be sat on. That's yes, fine. Exactly. But what if it was designed by someone who that it's just thought a chair, it was a chair? That it's but just I, a chair. Like Duchamp, have decided. <laughs> no, that it's that it's have just decided that that is now a sculpture of a chair. Yeah, no, that you just no signed your name on the side. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, that's you trying to pull the wool over my eyes because what you've now put in that bedroom is a fucking chair. <laughs> I think you need to read the stranger miss. <laughs> Well, because I bring this up for a reason. I'm yeah. sure you were. I was trying to, like, jet gr- grab at it. <laughs> what do you think of this setup? This is the description of Marceau's apartment. Yeah. He tells us about Oh, no. It. it was just the right size when Maman was here. Maman's a translation of mum. Now it's too big for me, and I've had to move the dining room table into my bedroom. I live in just one room now with some saggy straw chairs, a wardrobe his mirror has gone yellow, a dressing table, and a brass bed. So he's moved. He's got a two-bedroom apartment. He's moved even the dining table into the one bedroom. So it's a two-bedroom. It's not a studio. 
No, it's a two bedroom. So it's a two bedroom. So it's separate. It's not like he has to have it all in that one room. No, he doesn't. Have, he studio. thinks it's too big now. Mum's gone out, so he's like, oh, I only want to be in this one room. So oh. everything's in one room. Oh, but- no, he's a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely no. That's madness. So I've set you. Yes. Well, no, no, because if he's no, it I doesn't. This. I love because if he love, doesn't, you've, you've really you've tapped into no. the best. Mish <laughs> Actually, right now I'm now that I'm thinking about it, it doesn't bother me. It's not like he has a dining room with a dining table in it, mm. and that's where he dines. Mm. The only option he has is to dine at the dining table that is in his bedroom. But he could put that in his mum's old room. Set up a dining room. So what's in his mum's old room? Uh, he just doesn't go in there anymore because he's like, oh, I like having it that's all in a, one room. Yeah, that's a mental health thing and I'm fine with that. <laughs> he's going through some shit. Okay. He's going through no, some shit. If, 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 if this dude had a dining room with a whole setup yeah. but then also had a dining table in his bedroom, <laughs> then he's a madman <laughs> and I want nothing to do with him. Say I've got a really big bedroom, right, a really big floor space. What, what would you recommend I do to fill up the big floor space? Enjoy the space. Just enjoy having the space. But a it rug. Feels empty. A rug. No, I need something three dimensional. A sculpture. Okay. All right. That's a fair point. Yes, you make some a fair artwork. Point. You make a fair point. Great. Thanks. Some friends, for fuck's sake. Don't put a chair there. <laughs> I've just... never sat in a chair in a bedroom. No one does. No one does. <laughs> And they often it often gets covered in clothes. No, oh, that was awful. The knee putting away. You're absolutely right, but it, it just it riles you up in such an entertaining way. <laughs> no, no, it would be a disservice to the audience not to press that button. Thanks for bringing in that energy. Another thing that really like no, just just to just because while we're on it, <laughs> both Zach, both Zach and his life partner want a coffee machine in their bedroom. Oh, come at me and for that, this shit. Now you're that, coming at me. No, when you come no, at my coffee no, machine. No, 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 no. We're not <laughs> suggesting. But, the, but Zach, I've been meaning to ask you this. Would you then also have a coffee machine in your kitchen? Yeah. Insane. You're a madman. What about this? This is like dream house. This is like the kitchen's on another level and not because it's a little townhouse. This is like if I had all the money in the world, maybe not even all the money in the world. I think this is a scenario where I'll do this in my life. You just have a coffee machine, like, in a little uh, cabinet. Disgusting. So you I wake th- up to the smell of coffee. Yeah, that's nice. that's nice. And you then can you get a candle. Roll. You can get really good candles. And then you roll out of bed, you grab your coffee. I have coffee in bed. Like, one of us goes to the kitchen, pours the coffee, comes back to the kitchen, and we have the coffee But in that's bed. the beautiful ritual. Someone no, gets up I'm and goes to the kitchen where ritual. the coffee lives. No, 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 I'm not a fan of that ritual because you got, like, I'm often getting up half an hour, 45, an hour too late. It's like, imagine if it was right there. I just roll out of bed, grab that coffee, and I'm ready to go. The no. coffee wakes me up. And is it balanced on some sort of armchair? Yeah, absolutely. I think, <laughs> and I then think. I sit in my, <laughs> my armoire. <laughs> sitting, <laughs> sipping coffee in your chair. Sipping co- no, it's because I used to live in a tiny, tiny, tiny apartment, like, like really small, sort of um, the kind of apartment that happens when houses stop being places people live in and start being <laughs> right. retirement plans. Yep. Um, and I lived in this tiny little apartment and it it was one of those ones where the kitchen was uh, in the hallway, if that makes sense. It was just like a little bench. You walk through the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. so uh, the coffee used to brew directly outside. Like we had a sort of coffee brewing machine, like an American-style one, and it used to brew directly outside our door and it was like really nice. And then when I moved to a place where the kitchen was a bit further away I missed that like the sound of the coffee and the smell and I just think it would I, be nice to just have a little like a like a hotel I have yes I was thinking of a hotel yeah. I have nothing but respect 
for you and your work ethic and how hard you work, Zach, but that is the height of laziness. Get yeah. up and walk to your kitchen to get a cup of coffee. It's part of the morning this ritual. This so personal now. You know that how much a coffee machine in my house means to me, in my bedroom <laughs> means to me, yeah. and you're taking low blows. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think it'd be cool. It'd be like being in a hotel every single day. You know what I mean? Like, like. But then it little... takes away the beauty of the hotel. No, I really, I'm really passionate about this. Do you have a bar fridge as well? Uh, no, I wouldn't, and I'll tell you why. Because I'd eat all the chockies in it, and then <laughs> <laughs> it would be bad for me. Because um, uh, I want a TV. But it will I... end up. You'll get a bar fridge. It start. The, it starts with the coffee it's machine. A slippery slope. Then well, becomes... that's where you're going to put the milk. I suppose. Yeah, exactly. And then it's like, well, yeah. And then there's going to be a jar of cookies. And then if you're going to have a jar of cookies, you might as well have a fucking bag of chippies. And then before you know it, your kitchen is in your bedroom (laughs) and you're a psycho. And then I I am my psycho. That's how it started. How how absurd. (laughs) I I just think think it's a real, really, that's the thing I like about hotels is that the coffee's right there. And I think that would be really nice to have in a house. Yeah. You know, just recreating that one thing where you have like a coffee. Because, I mean... You could equally argue that an ensuite is just why would you have a bathroom? Sometimes you've got to shit. Yeah, but why don't you just walk to the bathroom? The idea of having a little bathroom in your bedroom is as <laughs> yeah. absurd. Well, no, it's space saver. Uh, that's what I mean. Like, if you do not have space in your house for a coffee machine yeah. other than in your room, I get it. But why would you? But if you've got a bathroom, why do you need a little bathroom in your bedroom? It's personal. Yeah, but that's so the same for my coffee. coffee could no, be it's personal. not. It's not. It's not. You have your coffee there. It's nice well, to have two bathrooms. If you're especially nice if you're to have in a two relationship. coffee machines. <laughs> no, no, it's not the same. It's not the fucking same. I refuse to accept. An entire room is a different thing to a coffee machine. Yeah, yeah. It's because uh, a coffee machine's so small, you just fit it in the corner where the chair would go. I'm doing the coffee machine so I don't have a chair in the corner. If I had to choose between a chair and a coffee machine, I'd take the coffee machine because that's yummy. Mm. But I'm still mad. It's can I say it's a very subtle in my mind. It's a very subtle little cabinet, and it's sort of like one of those like old writing desks. You wouldn't know there's a coffee machine in it unless you open it up. Sounds like a fire hazard. (laughs) That sounds like the most outrageous. It's just a small little wicker basket (laughs) with a boiling machine inside. You will do anything to bring down my dream. I, for one, hope you get there. Thank you so much. And I hope your room remains chairless for the rest of your your days. <laughs> you best believe it will, Dave. Thank you. I can't wait. I hope. I wish so much success on you that you have a big, barren bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll sit there. You'll sit there looking at all the floor space yeah. and go, fuck, I wish I could fill this with something, but I have dug my <laughs> hole. <laughs> I now have to do four rolls just to justify this bedroom. I'd rather do that than have a chair in my room. <laughs> All right, so I'm glad I brought that up. <laughs> you, you, you have just created the breakup yeah. of mission. So yeah. Sorry, guys. Uh, I agree with you both. Executive you both. decision is our last episode ever. Oh, go out with a bang. So, yeah. so, what's your vote on chair and coffee? Um, look, I, I think I'd be very happy if you'd have a coffee machine. Thank you. That's all I ask. And for. I'd be very happy if you did not have a chair. Honestly, that's very diplomatic. Yeah, because wants I to get us back on the pod <laughs> in a few months. <laughs> I've had a chair before, and it just became. A yeah, no, yeah. I actually do agree with you on the chair for the fact that it. 
you just pile it with clothes. It's my game. That's all. It, that's all it became for me. So I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad I no longer. You need that. something. You need whatever the the chair is. You need something where you can hide the clothes that need to go away. Yeah, like a box. A yeah. big box. Oh, we would if it wasn't full of coffee machine. <laughs> yeah, you got to choose. <laughs> all right, let's get back to the book. No, I'm done. Fuck <laughs> you all. I'm out. I'm taking half my wet chicken and we're leaving. <laughs> There's so much to go. Uh, <laughs> he hasn't even gone on a fucking date with her yet. Uh, she hasn't even asked him if he loves her yet. No, no that's, that's coming up. Oh, good, good. What do you reckon he's going to say? No. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty good, pretty much. Uh, so the weekend finishes before he, before he goes back, back to work and he writes, It occurred to me that somehow I got through another Sunday, that Mother was now buried, and tomorrow I'd be going back to work as usual. Really, nothing had changed in my life. Okay. Brutal to Mum. Yeah, poor Mum. Uh, we Oof. then we meet a couple of the people living in Marceau's apartment building, uh, both of whom are... Truly awful. Okay. Uh, first up is uh, Salamano, an old man whose only companion is an old dog with a skin condition. <laughs> they have a that is Zach. <laughs> Zach's got a dog with a skin with condition. A skin condition. Yeah, she has a she has. Um, well, we don't know what's wrong yet, but it's an allergy <laughs> of some kind, and it did lead to a pretty severe yeast infection oh, in the summer. No. <laughs> we had to uh, we had to clean between her paw pads. <laughs> I definitely, definitely felt quite uh, Sisyphean <laughs> from time to time. <laughs> and every once in a while as I was wiping those yeasty paw pads, I thought to myself, isn't this absurd? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you're very lovely to your dog, but this old man uh, has a love-hate relationship with his dog. Uh, he, he walks the dog twice a day, but also frequently beats it and swears at it. Mm. Oh, okay. That's just to confirm nothing like Zach. Mish loves throwing like accusations at me that I'm like characters and then there's always a little <laughs> bit more information. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're on uh, we're on Kyron's uh, podcast and I was playing uh, Wax Quizzical, Kyron Wheatley's podcast and I was playing like a douchebag nerd character but in order to play the douchebag, you know the kinds of fans that have like, that are possessive over the IP? Yeah. Um, but in order to play that character effectively I had to be talking about things I, I personally am nerdy about because those characters know a lot about the things. So then I was making these jokes and then Mish like said, oh, this character is exactly Zach 10 mm. years ago. And, but then I'd already planned for the character to be quite, quite a sodge. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, yes, this character also knows a lot about Donnie Darko, but, but, <laughs> but he's a sodge. But it's now you said it's Zach and I don't know. <laughs> So did you follow through? Um, yeah, I followed through. Yeah, it made me feel I, like shit. It was really good. <laughs> I just dropped the character yeah. a few times. Anyway, yes, uh, I kick I kick and beat my dog. No, you don't. <laughs> I wanted to confirm that you don't. No, I'm just, uh, yeah, no, I don't. I don't you know. kick my dog. <laughs> but, but despite this behavior, this guy is he's constantly saying how much he hates his dog. Um, he comes to Marceau and is deeply upset when the dog runs away, though. So it's one of those... Because he loves it. He loves the dog, but he's so awful to it. Mm. Uh, The other character from the apartment is Raymond or Ramon, who everyone else... He just just can't get peace from Deborah's mom. (laughs) 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 Every once in a while. Every once in a while. (laughs) 
<laughs> he does something like that, and you're like, oh, you are a professional. <laughs> that was very, very good, that's Zach. This cunt's name is Roman, and so, so is Roman. <laughs> but that's like, that's that's the you could go on the project with a joke like that. That's Bring very it on. like. I put that on. Have you been paying attention? This is really good. <laughs> that was good. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Like, honestly, every once in a while when I'm recording podcasts with Zach, I'm like, oh, I'm so lucky to be doing this with my best friend. And then so he'll do something like that. I'm like, you really are one step above. I would never have gotten there. <laughs> no, you, got, you got some corkers. Remember that time? <laughs> remember that time you just went real hard at chairs in bed? <laughs> <laughs> you changed the world that day. So the funny thing about that is that's not a joke. I'm really mad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Well, I'm afraid not everybody loves Raymond. No. They all dislike Raymond uh, and they suspect him of being a pimp, but he claims <laughs> he claims he works at a warehouse. He's like, I work at a warehouse. What yeah. are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, there was a girl I went to high school with and um, she lived in a huge house. Massive. Massive. Like, I'm talking, I think it was, like, half a block. Like, like I might have lived at, like, 60-something. They lived at, like, 14 to 27. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. Huge. Like, they each, like, her bedroom was, like, a house. It was insane. Did she have no. a coffee yeah. machine? <laughs> no, but she could have if she, she could have. for one, yeah, for sure. Yeah. They had two swimming pools, a tennis court. Like, it was two. It was insane. It was insane. And whenever anyone would ask her what her dad did, he worked in a warehouse. <laughs> That's so funny. And it was like, like at my good little private girls' school, we were just like, oh, okay, so he works at a warehouse then. And um, it wasn't until, like, I remembered that in my mid-20s, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Her dad worked at a warehouse. And I just Wait a <laughs> Hold on a minute. <laughs> he's into drugs. <laughs> oh, or he's Jeff Bezos. Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe, he were, maybe he owned the warehouse. Yeah, exactly. I, um, I find it really funny, though, the idea of, like, I think the image of a pimp that works in a warehouse in Algiers in 1942 is probably very different to my idea now of, like, a pimp that works in a warehouse, like, in Thomastown. Or something. <laughs> That's a very different, like, look, I think, vibe. <laughs> Well, no one likes this guy, but he runs into Marceau in the building and asks him over for dinner, and Marceau goes over, and he uh, he says, do you want to be my pal? Can you give me some advice? And uh, Raymond claims he's suspected, he suspects his mistress is cheating on him after he found a lottery ticket on her. Where'd she get that, he thinks? Yeah, mm. probably from the... From the Tats Lotto shop. Tats yeah. shop. <laughs> <laughs> Just got it down the corner <laughs> store. <laughs> well, it's not a very nice story because he says that he assaulted her and then oh. she left him. Oh, Jesus. And, oh, and because of this, he, this is uh, Raymond, got into a fight with her brother, an Arab man. Oh, okay, cool. And Raymond or Raymond is sporting a bandaged hand from that altercation. He asked Marceau for his opinion, and although, uh, again, he's a bit indifferent because he's a bit indifferent to everything, after a few wines, he agrees it does sound like she's cheating on him, and he agrees to write a letter for Raymond that will hopefully lure her back so he can spit in her face and reject her. What a great guy. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's the most full-on thing I've ever heard. He's the worst guy. Jesus. He is terrible. Uh, Raymond is very pleased with the letter and, and calls Marceau his pal. Wow. Something you don't want to be called. By that guy. No. no. You don't want to be f- friends with a pimp in a warehouse in Algiers. Hey, I got no problem with pimps. I got no problem with working in a warehouse. 
I don't like the spitting on your... But you shouldn't spit on your partner. That's a bit... Mm. Anyway, no comment. (laughs) That's a little loaded. Yeah. My temptation, because I feel like my role and your role in this podcast Mm. is to sort of come in with the witty band. That's right. We can just go through that. But I'm happy to leave that. That's just information. Let's just keep on rolling. (laughs) Whenever I feel that, I'm always like, oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you're thinking, no good can come of... Being friends with a man like this, and you would be right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Marie, this is the girlfriend of uh, Marceau, comes over and asks Marceau if he loves her, mm-hmm, and his response less than satisfies her. He tells her love doesn't mean anything, and he doesn't think so. Oh my god! Yeah, because of the absurd. That's so. That's pretty absurd. <laughs> I've had some pretty shocking dating experiences, but that's pretty bad. You've never yeah, had that one. You've no, never I've never had a, that one. A French philosopher. <laughs> I did have, I have never dated a French philosopher. I did have a guy once who said that um, he couldn't commit to me because being with other women made him realise how much he liked me. So Mm. the more he was with other women, (laughs) it increased his feelings for me. Wow. Now that, and I was with him for way too long. You're not ready to make jokes about this guy. I'm good friends with Nish. Give it another couple of years, I think. Oh. oh, I'll end the story there. I'm just saying, like, but so, but in yeah. comparison, that's even bleaker than that as well. I would thinking. say that's. Yeah. I would say that's even bleaker than it's, that. It's um. I think that uh, like it's this really interesting thing because on one level I'm like, oh yeah, I understand what he's getting at because of the absurd and all of that, and we can talk to that. On another level, like, weren't like philosophers like weren't modern. Like modernist philosophers, just the ultimate soft boys. Oh. <laughs> it means nothing to have a kissy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is all. Uh, I'm allowed to steal from better things than me because uh, it has all been done before, and uh, maybe we should have a kissy. <laughs> it means nothing. <laughs> Um, but I, it's, I don't know if they talk about this, but I, re- I do remember this moment because I remember being like, whoa, what a fuckhead. And like, what's the point of that? And I remember them saying like the idea that <laughs> love, that Camus, I don't know, do you talk about this? Have you got this in your essay about Camus? No, 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 I don't think so. But the idea that love is, you know, we've built this narrative or we've built this concept around love in, in, in like, society. Oh, am I, am I coming I'm, off as wanky? No, no, I'm still laughing at that. Do you want that? You see? <laughs> I don't like you, but I don't like anything. <laughs> so it's okay. Except kisses. I think it is all meaningless. It's like the line between Albert Camus and like every character Timothy Chalamet has played is a, is a short one. Um, Sorry. No, no, but there's this idea, like the idea of love. I remember being like, that's so full on. And I can't remember the exact concept, but just the, the notion that we define love as this like like a uh, narrative ongoing thing we build these like structures around love in 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 the, over the last few thousand years and and he was sort of saying love is an emotion and and you feel emotions in the moment you feel them in a fleeting way it's there sometimes it's not there other times so the idea of loving a person for the entire time you're with them is is a crazy thought and it's one that we as a society have built 
and like that's kind of what he was getting at this idea that like do you love me it was like well no I just I can still smell your shit like yeah. <laughs> you yeah. just did a shit and I can still smell it right now I don't love you <laughs> but maybe we'll be watching a movie in two hours time and you'll be in my arms and then I will love you again and like that love is actually it's an emotion it's like anger it's like all these other things and we feel it when we feel it and we don't feel it when we don't feel it that's a very full-on concept. Yeah, that really is. Don't tell my partner I said that. I don't believe it. I I'm going to tell your love. partner. <laughs> Camus was also married twice. <laughs> I'm going to tell Zach's partner that he doesn't love her when she does poos. <laughs> I love her when I love her all the time. All the time, God damn it! I believe in the romantic movies, not Camus. Fuck you. <laughs> it's an interesting concept, you know. It's like yeah. we we feel, you know, you know. But also, the modern concept of love. Didn't the ancient Greeks have like twelve? Like they had many, many words for the th- like for all the different things we all call love—brotherly love. Yeah, they had like a, heaps. Romantic love, mm-hmm. you know, the love. Yeah, they had like I think more than ten different words to describe all of those different feelings yeah. and, and 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 connections and. And one of the problems in like modern languages is we've we've encompassed all these things with one word, and it's like maybe it's more of a linguistic thing than a philosophical. I think one day, everything will just be the word love. Yeah, yeah, love, love. Well, already the tennis people have made it made oh. zero. It means all these things. It means love between a mother and a son. And they reckon it's zero as well. Come on, guys. <laughs> It's already begun. And that is what is truly and truly absurd. absurd. <laughs> I don't know. You know what I'm saying? That's kind saying. of what he's getting at, mm. I think. He's getting at that notion of, like, we want these structures to things and philosophers want these structures to things and these ideas. And it's like, really, you're just feeling stuff as it happens and, and everything else is kind of a bit of a construct. Sure, but does this guy ever love her? I can't remember. I don't think so. I think no. he's a bit of a prick. Yeah. Sometimes he thinks <laughs> I'm about it. I'm not going to lie. So far, he's not made a great impression. No. There are moments. Doesn't he have fleeting moments of love? Uh, he does want, and even later on, he, th- he thinks about his mother and thinks, I think I loved her. And then, but like with uh, Marie, he thinks about, you know, wanting to have sex with her. But yeah, but whether he actually feels yeah, love. Later, she asks if he'll marry her, and he says, marriage doesn't really mean anything. Still, she's keen on him and says, We'll get married later. <laughs> we'll, put a, we'll put a pin in that. He's just a soft boy. <laughs> yeah, he's a soft boy. <laughs> well, they, uh, they hear a violent argument in Raymond's apartment. This is the pimp neighbour. And the police are called. Uh, it's him fighting with the mistress. And the woman in the apartment uh, tells the officer that Raymond is a pimp and was beating her. And then the two are separated with Raymond told he'll have to come to the police station later. Raymond asks his new pal Marceau to go to the station and make a statement that says his mistress was cheating on him. I'm not sure how it justifies the violence in the eyes of the law, but for some reason our main character says, sure, I'll go along. I don't like the main character. I don't know the story, but I hope he dies. I can't remember. Truly? I truly can't remember. You can't remember how it finishes? I don't. And also, I want to take that back. I don't hope anyone dies. Okay. But... Except this fictional man from 80 years ago. Yeah, I'm, I'm not enjoying him. I'm not enjoying him. It, 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 he does sound like a soft boy from Reddit. Yeah. Like, like, honestly, if this guy lived in 2021, he would be an armchair warrior on Reddit. But where is that armchair? Not in his room. <laughs> Actually, no, this cunt would have a fucking... Yeah, he would. Yeah, yeah he, he would, would have a chair yeah. in his bedroom. Yeah. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Uh. Hey everyone, Dave here, just briefly interrupting proceedings to let you know that this week's episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Let me ask you a question, have you ever browsed in incognito mode? I bet you have. But it's probably not as incognito as you think. And why would it be incognito mode, like the Chrome browser itself, is a Google product. And Google has made its fortune by tracking your movements online. Right now, there's even a $5 billion class action lawsuit against the company in California where it's accused of secretly collecting user data. Their defense? Quote, incognito mode does not mean invisible, end quote. So how do you actually make yourself as invisible as possible online? The answer? Of course, it's ExpressVPN. Because it turns out that even in incognito mode, your online activity still gets tracked and data brokers will still get to buy and sell your data. One of these data points is your IP or internet protocol address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But here's the thing, with ExpressVPN, your connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and your IP address is masked. That makes it harder for third parties to identify you or harvest your data. Best of all, ExpressVPN, it's super easy to use no matter what device you're on, phone, laptop, or smart TV. For example, the computer I'm using right now, it has ExpressVPN, it's on, and I am protected. So if you really want to go incognito and protect your privacy, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN. Visit expressvpn.com slash bookcheat and get three months extra for free. That is... Let me spell this out for you, expressvpn.com slash bookcheat, expressvpn.com slash bookcheat, and you'll get three months extra for free. And to that, I say, hell yeah. Thanks, ExpressVPN, and back to The Outsider. All right, well, we are building to some action here. Raymond's friend Mason, or Masson, invites Merceau and Marie to spend their day at his beach house with him, his wife and Raymond. Oh, I, I do remember. I do remember. What do you remember? I remember. Oh, I don't want to give it away. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Okay. But I remember there's like a second act coming. There's like, it, 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 it takes a bit of a turn. Yeah, so this is, we are yeah. building to the climax of part one. Yes, I, I will, remember. I will also I say fr- friends with beach houses are very good friends. Now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like Unless... a friend with a pool. I don't think I've got a friend with a pool anymore. No. Growing up, so many people had pools. So many of my friends rent and there's no Yeah, no one's got a, no one no has one a pool. No pool. one. Do you, would you want a pool though? No. Because I think it would like, it's, I mean, a pool to me is just like leaves. I would love to Yeah, it's a lot of work. I don't, I'm not opposed to a swim in a pool, but I look at it and it looks like hard work. Yeah. I would love to live near the beach. Oh, yeah. Oh, wouldn't that be a treat? Do you want to know my dream home? Yes. Do you want to know my absolute dream home? Coffee in the bedroom. (laughs) There is coffee in the bedroom in my dream home. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it's not my dream home per se. It's my dream property is like a be- is a farm house, like an acreage or like a bit more than an acre. Do you have cows? Yeah. I got animals. A goat? Rescues. Don't worry. Do you have a goat? <laughs> yeah, I have a goat and some chickens. Doggies? 
Yeah, a few dogs. Cat. Yeah. How many? I don't, I don't know about the cats. We'll see with the cats. <coughs> but definitely two or three dogs. Goldfish? Uh, no. Cool. Guinea pig? <laughs> no. All right. Rooster? Yes. That's nice. Yeah, um, but fish, I think are like an aquarium. Oh, that's cute. But not goldfish, like cool little Exotic ones. Yeah. A farmhouse <laughs> on a few acres on the beach. So the idea that you live on the farmhouse, you've got land, you've got, like, some animals, and then ocean. That's nice. Yeah, that's beautiful. Would that not be, like, num, 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 yes, thank mm. you, that's the life. Mm. That's, but yes, only if you're rich enough that someone else looks after the Of farm. course, yeah, that's the whole thing. This I don't want to actually have to, like, touch like the Plow the field. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to touch the animal poopies. No poos, please. No poos, please. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I want to love those animals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pats, pats for me. You don't pat, uh, I don't poo. <laughs> um, yeah, I would, I'd love to live by the beach. Anyway, we were talking about beach the <laughs> Oh, yeah, they're on the way to the beach. So on the way there, Marceau, Marie and Raymond are preparing to board the bus to the beach when they see a group of Arab men on Oof. the street watching them. Oof. Okay. Raymond recognises one of them as his mistress's brother, the one he's already had quite a fight with. They're relieved when they get on the bus and the men don't follow them. They're like, oh... Dodge that bullet. So they get to the beach and have a great time and swim and they eat fish and steak and great food at Mason's Bungalow on the beach and everyone is happy. After oh, lunch... sounds lovely. It's the, the nicest part of the story. <laughs> After lunch, the three men go for a walk. So it's Marceau, Raymond and Mason, the guy that owns the beach house. And uh, the sun beats <laughs> down on... <laughs> he owns the beach. <laughs> well, the sun beats down on them. The heat is almost unbearable for Marceau. Remember, he's, he's frequently affected by the yeah. weather. But he walks on. Then they notice that the two, two of the Arab men are now following them. So they've, they've found them on the beach. And not just any men... But one of them is the brother of Raymond's mistress. Oh. Have you ever seen that scary movie called It Follows? Yeah. yeah. No. I didn't love the third act, but the first two acts yeah, were like really top good. notch. I reckon if anyone, the kind of people that are listening to this podcast, <laughs> would love It Follows. Well, I, think that's, I think you're, you're reaching a little. No, I reckon it's on Netflix. Go check out It Follows. I was thinking they like listening about mm. books, fancy books with some funny. I, I thought th- they're going to like a, gl- a, a classic Glenn Close I performance. I could with confidence <laughs> say uh, Glenn Close <laughs> playing the wife of a Nobel, pe- uh, Nobel literature prize winner i felt confident that what's that, that, that movie that, called that's again your audience the, don't give it away though what the wife i believe it's called. don't give it away I'm not it's, giving... there's like layers to it it's it's um it's a story it's her story and it's not here you'd think it's here, but it's about her being the wife of of you know and the sacrifices she's made it's a really beautiful that's story. beautiful i think that those people would also enjoy it follows which is about a curse that you can pass on through sex and then when you have the curse yeah, follows, a dead person follows you at a walking pace for the rest of your life it follows it follows unless you have sex with someone yeah. else and then you get so rid like of it. yeah and yeah. it follows you so like imagine if i had the curse i'd have a dead person following me at a walking but pace but would we be able to see it no. No, no so one else can no see it. It's not, like, it's not a dead person. It's just like it looks like people. So what happens if you stop now and you're not moving? Where okay, so it, like, it, it'll get to you. It'll get to you and kill you. It and gets then, you. And then you die. So you so have to always keep moving. Oh, keep, and you got to pass I really on. want to watch it. I've watched it tonight. Yeah, I want to watch it tonight. That's, <laughs> I love that movie so much. It's very scary. And then, like, so, but it's at a walking pace. So I could jump on a plane and fly to Brazil and I'd be fine, but they would still be walking towards me at a walking pace. On the plane. No, 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 it'd be like just walk. I think it walks through the ocean. Yeah, it walks through the ocean. So, like, 
And when you get to the airport and yeah. you're in line at customs, yeah. you're like, shit, 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 it's Yeah, coming. you'd be like, hurry. So, like, if I if he was, it was in this podcast studio yeah, right now, I'm like, I have to go. You wouldn't get into the airport because it would get to you by the time you're in the airport. Like, Not necessarily. Like, if they were here in this podcast studio and I ran and I got in an Uber and I, fl- I, I drove to the airport, they would still be walking. So, by the time I get to the airport, they've hardly left Coburg. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, good. So, you're just yeah. always on the move. So, you're always on the move. But... Once it catches, but then I can. Once I'm in Brazil, I fuck someone and I don't have the curse anymore. Right. Then it follows the person you fucked. It follows you. Oh, I'm so sorry. I got a message. <laughs> Turn it off. I'm the most unprofessional guest. That's all right. I just talked about curse fucks. You know what, though? What if there's this great twist where I was trying to demonstrate, you know, there's a way you should do a podcast. There are expectations, but I'm demonstrate. I am the Marcel of this podcast. Yeah, you don't, you don't, you're not bound by convention. No, I eat mm. chicken because I am hungry. Yeah. <laughs> I get messages because I forgot to turn off the phone sound. <laughs> it's because, because I have truly accepted the absurd. <laughs> Well, thanks for getting us back onto track. But um, so <laughs> they're on the beach. Yeah, they see these two Ar- Arab men, and I should note that I'm going to refer to them a couple of times as Arabs or the Arabs or the Arab. That's because they are never named and they're referred to as such in the book. In the book. In the book. It is a bit crook. It feels like it feels strange for me to say that now. But yeah. so so Raymond and Mason they get into a fight. Each one going one on one with their opponents, and Marceau's just watching on. Yeah. Going, go, boys! And they're winning the fight until one of the Arab men pulls out a knife. Oh. Raymond is slashed across his arm and mouth, and being wounded, that gives the Arab guys time to escape because they were losing the fight, but as a last ditch effort, they've slashed twice Raymond. And they're fighting them because Raymond um, beat up. Yeah, that's right, because he's been abusing his sister. Okay. So, like. They're, they're the more, you know, if you weren't... If you had to pick a side. If you had to pick a side. <laughs> if you had to. All right. It's, you know, they're the guy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, so Raymond and the other stumble the back to the bungalow where the, the two women are very shocked, especially because they, the three men just went out for a lovely beach walk mm. and they've come back and Raymond is bleeding a lot. He assures them the cuts aren't deep, and he, but he goes off to get some stitched up um, by a doctor. Raymond comes back bandaged, and uh, he goes again for a walk on the beach. He says he wants to be alone, but Anna Raider Marceau follows him anyway. Hmm. Again, they come across the two Arab men. So I don't know why you walk in that same direction again, but they did. <laughs> this time they're lying down on the sand next to uh, some water in a spring. Raymond has a revolver. Water in a spring? Like, you know, like a an underwater spring. Spring time. Oh, I thing. thought you meant like and a spring no. with slinky <laughs> no, or something. Yeah. <laughs> and they were just playing with it. Yeah, yeah, going yeah. wee 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 wee. <laughs> so we next next up the stairs. I I I assumed the body of water, but like <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Hey, Sorry. You, I'm glad you said there'd be someone out there being tweeting in being like, what did you mean? A what spring? did you mean by a spring? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, not being a real P.O.S. today. <laughs> But I'm trying to capture the spirit of Marceau, do you not see? <laughs> no, in all fairness, when I said a spring, I then went, oh, of course it's just water. And then I tried to do a joke to cover it up. But I, I, had, a, I had a very, I had a dumb moment. But can I say, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying for me, mm. I assume the body of water. I'm just stating a fact. 
You assumed it was a spring, like a slinky spring. I assumed it was a, the body of water. That's not a judgment call on you. We just made different assumptions. Yeah. Which which of us was right, Dave? You read the book. Uh, it was a body of water. Okay, ah. so Zach happens to be right this time. On this Dave. occasion, but that's just yeah. luck. That's just luck. That's, that's luck. just luck. That's just luck. You know, it could have been. It a, could have been me. Who it won could have been now. a spring. You know, but it was a beach, so I was just assuming <laughs> there was some bodies of water. <laughs> if it had been at a spring factory, I would have been the silly one. <laughs> like a trampoline factory, and I'd assumed the body of water. I missed the beach thing. I'm sorry. I thought they were at a trampoline factory. <laughs> okay, it's all starting to make a bit more sense now. Go on. So the two, they're on the ground, lying down. But it's the same guy. One of them had a knife before. Mm-hmm. Raymond has a revolver in his pocket. Oh, fuck, Raymond. What are you Raymond, doing, you're, f- you're full of danger. But Raymond's my- a bit of a fucked cunt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, reckon, I, reckon, I reckon Raymond's a bit fucked, eh? <laughs> Marceau tells him he can't shoot unless provoked. So, you know, trying to talk sense into him. So he suggests, I say sense, that Raymond hand him the gun, and if the men attack him, Marceau will then shoot. Fortunately, it doesn't come to that. The Arab men sneak away and there's no more violence on the beach. The two men, Marceau and Raymond, get back to the beach house. Well, there's stairs up to the beach house. But worn out from the heat, again, heat. Is it a problem that I'm imagining like a 1980s um, like prefab kind of <laughs> like corkboard beach house in like Inverloch? <laughs> <laughs> Like, Same. I, it just doesn't quite. I think. Like, oh, every time anyone says beach house, I'm 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 at Aries Inlet. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, cool. They've got a lovely lighthouse. <laughs> you know, it's just just down from the lighthouse. Yeah. Basically, they get to the Getting stairs. Fish and chips for dinner. <laughs> oh. Walk past the boogie boards. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need anything from the Rip Curl store today. <laughs> They get to the stairs, and what do they see? Oh, Raymond goes up, and Marceau's like, it's so hot, I can't make it. I'm going to stay on the beach. It's crazy hot. I'm going to go back to the water mm-hmm. to cool off. Yeah. But now he's all alone. He's got a headache from the heat and blinding light from the sun. He decides to walk back to the spring, body of water. So all this bashing is happening in daylight. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was nighttime no, bashing. Da- there was a daylight stabbing. <laughs> oh, okay. He's like, I'm going to go back to the spring to cool off. Yeah. Then he gets there, he sees that one of the Arab men, the actual brother of Raymond's mistress, has also returned at the same time. Oh. So now it's just mano y mano. Mm. Marceau puts his hand on the gun, because remember, he's got it because Raymond gave, it, gave to it to him. And he's got it inside just in case. He's like, all right, just hold on to this. Uh-oh. He says, it struck me that all I had to do was turn, walk away, and think no more about it. But the whole beach, pulsing with heat, was pressing on my back. So he keeps walking towards his opponent. Feeling the same heat as his mother's funeral and finding it unbearable, he takes a step towards the water, which is actually closer to the Arab man, and therefore also towards his opponent, yes, who pulls out his knife and shows it to Marceau. And with that, Marceau clutches his weapon. And this is the final part of part one. He says, my... Part one? Yeah. Part one? Mish, Mish, this is why I've stopped with the interjections, because I remembered there's a part two. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's, uh, there's a whole, part one, honestly, is a bit more, um, a bit more involved, but. Yeah, part two is just lots of talking. <laughs> lots of thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, uh, being tensed, I squeeze my hand around the revolver. 
The trigger gave. I felt the smooth underside of the butt. And there, in that noise, sharp and deafening at the same time, is where it all started. I shook off the sweat and sun. I knew that I had shattered the harmony of the day. The exceptional silence of a beach where I'd been happy. Then I fired four more times at the motionless body with the bullets lodged without leaving a trace. And it was like knocking four quick times on the door of unhappiness. Jesus Christ. Or the door, I've also seen it translated as the door of my own demise. And that is the action-packed finish to part one. That's full on. Yeah, he shoots him, eh? Yeah, so he's uh, he sh- shot this unknown man. So is this on. unknown man, is this the brother? Yeah, the brother. So this is the, the leader of the The leader guy. who... He didn't, like, have to shoot him, you know? He didn't have to shoot him. He could have just been like, hey, man, you actually want my pimp friend. Yeah, yeah, or, like, pull out the gun to be like, look, I've got a gun. Yeah. That's better than a knife. But uh, I reckon if you just said, by the way, that guy who, the pimp, that's just my mate. I don't know him. I hardly know him. <laughs> We're just at my friend's beach house, Mason's beach house. He owns is a beach house, so we all came down for the weekend. Is it also a problem that I imagine the pimp to have, like, a big hat and a furry coat? No, it's not a problem. I, I see them all in, I, in my head. They're all wearing, like, little, like, uh, woven beach hats and... Yeah, uh, yeah, and, and uh, board shorts. <laughs> I imagine Marceau. I imagine Marceau quite era accurate. I imagine him with like a loose fitting linen top, uh, t- tucked into like trousers, with nice practical brown shoes. He's handsome and and like uh, uh, you know got, got a bit of age on him, but you know like looks like he's smiling. Like cigarette hanging from. I imagine him to look a lot like. The author. In my oh, yeah, head, but like Camus. Camus. In- but next to him is a 1970s pimp. <laughs> and they are at Inverloch in the 1990s. <laughs> I love this mashup. This is, what is Baz Luhrmann directing this? What is happening? In my head, they're all wearing black and orange quicksilver to the knee board shorts. <laughs> This is the problem with books. <laughs> you can imagine whatever you want. How yeah. dare you're you thinking, make me use my brain? You're thinking this story is ridiculous, but really, that's not, what, that, that's not what he was imagining at all. Yeah. Why have they got a 1942 <laughs> philosopher-looking dude walking around with a 1970s <laughs> pimp, pimp played by Ray Romano <laughs> in... <laughs> In a 1990s beach town, a rural beach town. I don't understand. What was he thinking? (laughs) This doesn't make any sense. It truly is absurd. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness me. Well, let's fire through part two. Let's do that. (laughs) Which is, uh, you know, honestly, it's all been built into that moment. So he's arrested for murder and taken... Oh, well, so he's caught. Yeah, yeah he straight away. Caught. Yeah, like, Taken to the I police station, that locked the second up. second part two was going to be like him trying to cover up the murder. No, you are thinking... Like, Literally. Like, you're thinking, um, like, book. You're thinking film. You're not thinking the absurd. absurd. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> well, the absurd stuff does definitely happen to him here because he's, uh, he's, he's, you know, he's locked up. He's assigned a young lawyer who thinks... He says, hey, if you trust me, I'll be able to get you off okay. on a lesser charge. Just quickly, no. Zach, who's playing the young lawyer in your head? Um, Vanessa Crouch. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's, that's someone who's someone I went to school with who I think played uh, uh, this character in a... Um, oh, no, she was. She might not have been in the play at all. I'm sorry, I'm not being funny. I'm just talking about a production. <laughs> to me, it's Julia Stiles. 
Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah that is good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on, Dave. Get her in there. Well, the lawyer, Julia Stiles, yeah. immediately asked Marceau about his reaction at his mother's funeral. Mm. Word has gotten out that he was indifferent and didn't seem emotionally affected uh, yeah. and acted insensitive, insensitively. I forgot how many parallels there are with part two of The Stranger and the f- final episode of Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right because in this it goes to a courtroom and they bring up all the old characters that you know from the first half of the book. They're all on stand. They're They're all on the stand. It's it's the the character judgment. Seinfeld is is our generation's the stranger. Camus. Camus. Camus for shoot. Oh, so good. So he didn't like the mum. He was yeah, indifferent it, to the So mother, everyone's though. found out about this, and this becomes like a big sticking point of the trial. Um, he then meets with the magistrate, and um, he's asked about his mother and if he, if he loves her. And he, even Marceau and th- thinks to himself, what's that got to do with anything anyway? And then he's asked why he shot the Arab man five times. Not just once. He just kept shooting. And uh, in the hot room, he just doesn't know what to say. And the He's ma- always hot. Mm. It's, oh, he's seriously, he's, he's burning up at all yeah, times. Yeah, I'm kidding. He's very hot. The magistrate's like, but you believe in God, right? And he's like, no. Ooh. Which, again, part of his problem is he's not good at playing the game. Mm. Not, yeah. not good at telling people. He's like, I just, I just say how I really feel all the time. Mm. Like he doesn't ever, you know, pander to other people. So you, you might think that oh, I should probably tell this magistrate. The parallels the- between this and Jim Carrey's Liar Liar is also yeah. <laughs> <laughs> quite apparent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I think there's a lot of, like, 90s comedy. <laughs> I see Camus' influence, uh, particularly in 90s comedy. Yeah. And the magistrate's shocked and he, like, brings out the crucifix and, like, you know, shows it to him. And he says that Marceau is the most hardened criminal he's ever come, come across. So things are not off to a great, great start. He then starts calling him Monsieur Antichrist. Oh, damn. Oh, gosh. So this is before the trial even starts. So he stays in jail waiting his trial. Marie's allowed to visit once uh, in a very overcrowded, like not a very nice place uh, with bars between them. But then after that, she writes and says, I can't see you anymore. They're not letting me in because I'm not your wife. Yeah. Which is like another like dig it partly. Should have married, married me. Should have put a ring on it. <laughs> And then he starts thinking about the outside world. He longs to go swimming and smoke cigarettes and have sex with Marie. And in the, the first half of the book, he doesn't reflect at all. It's always eyes forward. Yeah. But yeah. in the second half, now he's alone in the cell, he's finally got time to reflect on his life outside. Yeah. All he wants to do is swim and, and bang. I mean. <laughs> and smoke I mean, at the durries. I mean. What a lot. <laughs> Can you fault it? I get it. What do you think we're doing at this fantastic beach house? Slash farm. It's <laughs> the dream life. Um, smoking and fucking. Oh, smoking and fucking. <laughs> it says that on the gate as you drive in. <laughs> smoking and fucking. Alba Camus, <laughs> the stranger. Or smoking and fucking. <laughs> <laughs> well, he just, he, uh, so at first he's very like, oh my God, I, I don't know what to do in here. But then he starts to pass the time by, and this is a great tip for anyone who's ever locked in a cell, mm. by imagining every detail of his of his apartment and he starts recalling more and more detail so at first it only takes him a few minutes to imagine everything in the apartment mm. remembering that in his bedroom he's got half half a house in yes. one bedroom mm. but 
by the end of it, after thinking about it every day for months and months, it starts to take him hours to imagine every little thing he imagines or every little detail of things. So, th- I mean, why watch TV when you can imagine that? Yeah. Mm. That's pretty cool. So that's what he does. I'd still ask time. for like a tennis ball or something to like throw against the wall. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm doing the theme tune from Great Escape, you know, because yeah. of the tennis ball. That's yeah. What, yeah. Yeah. I'm feeling You it. got it. That was good. Yeah. Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Zach needs another hit of chicken. <laughs> Let's get this man some chicken. Bring it in. So the trial starts a year after the shooting took place. So he's been in, in a cell for a long time already. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of people in the courtroom. Apparently the papers have been writing it up in you know a lot because there's not much going on. It's a slow news day. Yeah. And inside the court, would you believe, it's very, very hot. Not of good course for, it is. Not good for Marcel. And he's affected no. by the heat, which affects his performance. Yeah. Mm. And from the start, it's all about his mother. The judge asks our main character why he put his mum in a home in the first place. And he says, I didn't have enough money to continue to care for her. Uh, the director of the home is called and testified, and this is when everyone from that we met in the first half just comes up and starts you know, giving their assessment of his character. And the director's like, oh, surprised at how calm he was at his mother's funeral. And he didn't want to see the body. He didn't cry once. That was a bit weird. And then one of the assistants from the home says... Literally is... Seinfeld finale. Yeah. <laughs> and then the soup Nazi came yeah, in. Yeah, he yeah. said that Elaine ruined his business. I'm now imagining the soup Nazi is Raymond. That's what he looks like in my mind. And then Newman finally gets his revenge <laughs> after all those years. <laughs> it's so much like that. Uh, then one of the assistants testifies that he didn't even know how, ho- how old his mother was. All these things, and the I court. I think I could say my mother's age, like mm. to the year. I'd go within within one or two years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd say thirty nine, and <laughs> 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 I get a nice Chrissy present for yeah. that one. <laughs> uh, the, this caretaker says that he he acted in a pretty disrespectful way at the funeral by smoking and even shock horror drinking a coffee. Possibly uh, from, from his bedroom. His bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> then the caretaker. I'd admi- put him in jail for that for sure. <laughs> but then the caretaker admits. I mean, yes, I did offer him the coffee, but I d- expected him to refuse it. <laughs> Don't offer. It. Nah, uh, no. that's like no. Never offers to give somebody a lift if you don't want to give them a lift. That's my rule. And that's a good lesson. I never. When people are like, oh no, but you don't have to drive me. Like I'm like, if I offered, I meant it. It's nothing worse than being like, oh, do you want me to drive you home? They're like, yeah. You're like, fuck, I really didn't want to drive shit across Melbourne. You know what I mean? Are those people that likes to give people lifts home? Totally depends on how hungry I am or how tired I am or how much I like the person. Because I know people that, like, love giving people lifts. Well, You know, there are people that are just like... You want a lift? <laughs> you want a lift to the airport? I'll do it. Well, let's do you and me, for example. Yeah. If we finished a podcast one day and you wanted me to drive you home, I'd drive you home. The only thing that's kind of annoying about that is I live next door to the podcast studio. And I live far away. And, and Zach lives quite far. That's true. Misha just ducks in herself over here. <laughs> oh, fuck! Oh, God! <laughs> Get a timestamp on that one. Yeah, well, no, look... <laughs> I, d- I don't live next door because next door is doesn't live literally next, next door, door because right. there's a coffee shop next door. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> what a prank! Good prank. What a prank! People are like I actually don't even live in <laughs> Melbourne. Um, <laughs> Great prank. Yeah. 
Uh, so yeah, it's just a, a cavalcade of all all the the stars of the first one. Marie's called up, and she's like, "We were going to get married." And then the I just realised that Raymond's mother-in-law is named Marie, and everybody loves Raymond. <laughs> oh my! I'm really good at everything that. in the '90s is based around this book. <laughs> But I'm really nailing in. This is a prequel for Everybody Loves Ray. I'm kidding. Jesus. <laughs> well, and then the prosecutor's like, well, actually, uh, what was your first date again? She says, oh, we went to the cinema. And he goes, what was the movie? She goes this. And he goes, well, I've got the movie times here. And looking at that date, that's the day after his mother's funeral. What kind of sick, twisted man hooks up with a woman for the first time the day after he buried his mother? So that's sort of the case that's building against him. They seem to think that there is some sort of instruction manual on grief, and there is not. Yeah, that's just sure. a little. That's just a little bit of wise words from Ish. There is no instruction manual on how to grieve, and if you need to fuck or go see a movie. After your mother dies? Hey, you do you. You do you. I imagine, like, that would be, like, one of the first things I would do. Fucking go see a movie. I wouldn't fuck. I reckon I'd be like, I'm, I'm going to go to the movies. I need some mm. me time. I'm yeah. Just gonna but that, you do have me time at the movies. That's a very you thing. It's a very me thing is to have me time whereas, at the movies. Whereas I'd go for a long drive yeah, to my home far away. <laughs> very far. Yeah, into the country where the you pod, live. Yeah, very far from the podcast studio. I could, that was a really good cover. That was good. You actually live the dream lifestyle. Yes, I do. I, I live at the beach. Yeah. Don't tell them that. With, the, with a gate, fucking and smoking. <laughs> I live at fucking and smoking. <laughs> oh, no, don't Google that. <laughs> so the prosecution closes with the argument that Marceau is obviously intelligent, but his lack of remorse and character indicates that he's guilty of premeditated murder. The prosecutor argues for the death penalty. <gasps> oh, doesn't sound. It doesn't sound like a very like. It's a bit circumstantial. <laughs> That's more for like sentencing. Yeah, they shouldn't have been bringing up Marie until the sentencing part of the trial. Yeah, no, but it's all in one here. And this is Algeria in 1942, and I'm basing all of my legal knowledge <laughs> yeah, on on law movies. Boston <laughs> legal. Boston legal. <laughs> Where's iced tea? <laughs> this doesn't sound like the modern US <laughs> judiciary system. You can't make those kind of decisions yeah, without a... iced tea. Oh my goodness. You know, you'll be incriminating yourself up there. Excuse Play me. the fifth. William Shatner does not approve of this. <laughs> Have they even t- taken this past Ken- Candace Bergman? Has anyone talked to what's his name from Sex Lies and Videotape? <laughs> James Spader, this is not, this is not the law. <laughs> I'm afraid they did a little, a little differently back then. <laughs> Good times. <laughs> That's the funniest thing you've ever said. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, that was very funny. Is it? Or are we just seven hours into a podcast <laughs> that Dave only intended to go for a minute? <laughs> It's a quick bite episode here. <laughs> hey guys, don't worry. I'll be back with a proper full length episode next week. <laughs> My usual 15 hours next week. Keep in mind that Dave was nice to let you eat that chicken because that chicken would be so cold by now. Oh, I knew. Yeah, it been, you, I, knew. I knew. you know us. I know you. We're going to let you finish your fucking sentence. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's given a chance to explain himself. But he can't really. Yeah, because he's not good at playing the game. Yeah, I no, he's not good. Really well. yeah. yeah, and when asked, he says he says does say I didn't plan on killing that Arab band that day. Mm. But he doesn't say it here. But he actually does say to us, I don't really regret 
you know, he doesn't really feel guilt over it. Ugh. He's like, oh, this is just what happened. But when asked on the witness stand to explain his motive, he can't. He's flustered and awkwardly just says, uh, because of the sun, which isn't a good defence. No. No, that's an awful defence. No. And his lawyer tries his best, tries to, you know, frame him as a nice guy. But he... He leaves and he comes back into the courtroom and he later hears the jury finds him guilty of premeditated murder and he is sentenced to be decapitated in a public place. Jesus. Oh, my God. Yeah. We That's were talking so about it before. Fun. So funny. It's the guillotine for him. Mm. Wow. He could he could maybe write the last couple of words of his book. Mm. What yeah. did he say? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. So they were using the guillotine for a long time. To quote from history.com, the guillotine remained France's... Remember, they're in charge of Algeria this, this time. This is crazy. I feel like this is worth a guess. Cause oh, I, yeah. When do you reckon the last person under French rule was executed by a guillotine? I think I know by the number. I think I know the year, like, roughly, so I won't guess. I'm going to go with the 1890s. I'm gonna, oh, I, 1880s. I think, it's, I think it's much later than that from memory. I don't want to, like, guess too far along. Uh, it was Francis' uh, method of capital punishment well into the late 20th century. <gasps> it was like 1960s, wasn't it? Well, even later, convicted murderer Hamida De- uh, Jandubi became the last person to meet his end by the National Razor. Still quoting from history.com. After he was executed by the guillotine in 1977. <gasps> Crazy. Isn't that outrageous? Whereabouts? Uh, that was somewhere in France. Three things French, oh my the French God. love. They love butter in moderation. They love protesting and they love chopping off heads. Oh Can my you believe God. that? Yeah, that was in uh, Marseille. Jesus. Heck is. That is, that is well heck is though. Do you want to hear another fun French fact? Um... Uh, partner was telling me this the other day. Apparently, they built they so the the Eiffel Tower was originally a temporary structure for a World's Fair. Yes, we did a Dougal on podcast about it once. I'm sure you fun. did. I know a lot about World's Fairs because of the 1964 World's Fair, where four um, Disneyland rides were invented, and that started me on a World's Fair. Love thing. that. Um, but it was invented for the World's Fair. And aside to my aside, what did they do in the – there was a World's Fair in America. The next World's Fair was in America and they wanted to compete. I think it was the Chicago World's Fair. What was invented? What do you think was invented to compete with the Eiffel Tower? In Chicago? Yeah. They wanted Oprah. something more impressive Oprah. than the Eiffel Tower. I think I Oprah's might. from Chicago. Oprah Winfrey was not invented <laughs> for the Chicago World's Fair. Is it – uh, It f- might not be Chicago. It was the next World's Fair. Is it the Ferris year. Wheel? It was the Ferris Wheel, which you probably learnt on Do Go On. Maybe or maybe you just time. worked it out. Anyway, but that, so that's their c- competition. With that the was Eiffel. their competition. Is that like it's like the fair, it's like the Eiffel Tower, but it moves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Uh, but anyway, the Eiffel Tower was meant to be temporary, but people liked it so much that they decided to keep it. And then when they decided to keep it. Um, the French people, a lot of French people were like, no, it's a tower, it's ugly, and they protested. And then the government were like, okay, yep, we'll knock it down. And then they're like, no, we love it. <laughs> and they protested again. <laughs> it's like, I think you just like to protest. Yeah, we I pro- love a protest. <laughs> love a revolution. Here's a f- my fun French fact. I went to Paris with a friend of mine and we both got really drunk and she pissed in an alley. <laughs> <laughs> In um, that's fine. That's good. That's sexist of me to if I would have a problem with they that. Would re- so I piss in alleys yeah, all if the you time. Tried Do you have you pissed in an alley recently? How is it? Why is that okay? I like think it it's is okay, okay for everyone to Absolutely, piss in alleys. but why is it? 
okay to just piss in Why an is it not okay? Like, you know what I mean? We're animals. Why can't we just piss in a gutter? I'll tell you a fun thing, though. You know the Comedy Republic in, in Melbourne? Yeah. It's, uh, Pisa, again, you... I'm really on Kyron Wheatley. Kyron Wheatley and uh, Reece great venue and Alex Dyson's venue in the city. It's One of the best venue. comedy venues in Melbourne. It's the only comedy venue in Melbourne. Yeah. <laughs> All year round, after, mm. except for the one in North Melbourne. Anyway, um, they have a side door, down, like down an alley, um, and fun fact, it's it's a real, like, uh, uh, people really love to piss on that door. On the door. Because on the door. It's down the alley and then it's in a little thing. So it's like you, you're feeling a oh, little Do you drunk. step up to it? Uh, like you step into it. Yeah, kind of sure. Thing. So it's like I think people are a bit drunk. They're walking down Burke Street. They see an alley. They walk up it. They see this door. They go down. There's a car, but like there's better spots. But anyway, I opened the door as I was leaving. No. And uh, it was the first time I was leaving. I opened the door and um, this man just like was near the door and then just like turned around the fastest I've ever seen a person turn around and was like walking away. I was like, why is he walking away? And then I smelt. I was like, oh, this like doorway smells of fresh piss. And then I looked down and this man, (laughs) this man, no, it was the funniest thing I think I've ever seen. This man was just walking in such an efficient way, like with no direction. I've never seen someone walking so efficiently to nowhere. He was just walking efficiently away. He was, and he wasn't drunk. I think he just really needed to piss. And then he was pissing and then the door opened and there was a man there. So he just was like, the moment the door opened, he was just like, put it in his pants and just walk and I just I, I, I that's I, great I will live for the rest of my life with this image of a man just walking so efficiently in absolutely like a, no direction just away funny. from here and then he was just like it was so funny anyway that's a great story about a man pissing down an alley no idea what it's got to do with the stranger go on Dave well we're up to the final chapter wow. alright the end is inside here but poor Marceau he's been sentenced to death mm. He uh, probably doesn't care too much. Well, he's on death row now. He refuses three times to see the prison chaplain. He's, he says, I've got nothing to say to you. Is he upset? Well, yes, in a way, because his thoughts are occupied by escaping what he calls, quote, the machinery of justice. Mm. He fantasizes about being condemned to a different type of capital punishment, maybe a poison that only kills 99% of people. At least that way, he'd have a bit of hope to cling on to. But with the guillotine, if it breaks or it goes wrong, they would just try again. Yep. And in fact, the guillotine is worse because it makes the prisoner hope that it goes well to avoid a horrible death. Mm. So in a strange way, you go up there wanting it to be, want it to work. Yeah, that's very... He doesn't really, yeah. And he's like, I hate that about this. He also thinks of his appeal and he fantasizes about maybe getting off. But at the same time, he knows that everybody dies, whether it's at 30 or at 70. That's what I was waiting for was that kind of mentality. He infrequently thinks of his girlfriend, Marie, and misses her physically, but also knows that once he's dead, she won't matter to him anymore. So he's like, do I need a... I'm not that worried about thinking about it. Get out of your head, man. (laughs) 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 The other thing that's constantly on his mind is Dawn, because he knows that that's the time... One day where he'll hear footsteps of guards coming to get him to take him to his death. Because they didn't tell you when back then, did they? That was kind of the thing. Not the exact day, yeah. yeah. The exact day you're going to go. So, so to confront this, he starts sleeping during the day so he can be awake at night and therefore dawn will never sneak up on him. Oh, so yeah. he'll hear them. He doesn't want to wake up and be like, oh, no, this is it. Again, uh, against Marceau's wishes, the chaplain visits and asks why he refuses to see him. 
He's a bit needy, this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. Marceau reasserts his denial of God's existence. The chaplain keeps pushing, saying that all condemned men turn to God. You'll turn one day. The chaplain then asks why he doesn't call him father and uh, prays for him. Marceau snaps and begins yelling at the chaplain, grabbing his collar and telling him not to waste his prayers on him. So he, we haven't really seen an outburst. Even when he shot the guy yeah. five times, he was pretty calm about it. But he's grabbing this this you know chaplain by the collar and wringing his neck whilst yelling. And uh, as he grabs the, the collar, he, he realizes, uh, he says, quote, uh, I was sure about me, about everything, surer than he could ever be, sure of my life and sure of the death I had waiting for me. Yes, that was all I had, but at least I had as much of a hold on it as it had on me. I had every right. I was still right. I was always right. I had lived my life one way and I could just as well have lived it another. I had done this and I hadn't done that. I hadn't done this, but I had done another. And so... It was as if I had waited all this time for this moment and for the first light of this dawn to be vindicated. Nothing, nothing mattered. And I knew why. So did he. So that's what he says. He's uh, really having a realisation that nothing matters. So he's accepting that his life is meaningless. Mm. All lives are meaningless in his mind. The chaplain absurdly tries to put meaning on life and death. And we've seen Marceau be indifferent to much of the universe. And he's realised that the universe, it's also pretty indifferent to him. Yeah, man. All right, yeah, that's fair enough. Sorry to uh, get bleak here. Uh, the guards <laughs> separate Marceau from the chaplain and uh, he falls asleep. Just before dawn, he wakes and thinks of his mother and her passing. And he realises that why she'd gr- grown close to that man that others had joked was her fiancé in the old ah, folks' home. Yeah, I, was wonder- I genuinely was wondering what was happening to that guy. Yeah, well, he... She, he realises that his mother had been close to death but felt ready to live again. So he writes, no one had the right to cry over her because this whole time people have been saying, why didn't you cry about her? And he's oh. like, no one should. And with that, we come to the final line of the book. Having accepted it all and now content, he thinks of his impending execution and hopes for a crowd to make him feel less lonely. He says, and I quote, and I felt ready to live it all again too. As if that blind rage had washed me clean, rid me of hope for the first time in that night, alive with signs and stars, I opened myself to the gentle indifference of the world. Finding it so much like myself, so like a brother, really felt that I had been happy and that I was happy again. For everything to be consummated for me, to feel less alone, I had only to wish that there be a large crowd of spectators the day of my execution and that they greet me with cries of hate. He wanted that. Yeah, I think just to feel less alone. He, he oh, hoped yeah. that people... Because the executions, I should say, were public. Yeah. I wouldn't want that. That's like wanting a public uh, proposal, which I think <laughs> is the worst thing which you were, ever. <laughs> this is akin to a public execution. I would never. I've, no, no, no. It's like if, if someone publicly proposes to you, it's like, well, <laughs> I was talking to this about with this about, about like my auntie. It's like, or so, well, maybe it was you. It was yeah. just like, if someone publicly proposed to you, it's like, well, it's going to have to be a no because you clearly don't know me. Yeah, well, no, that's, that's exactly right. <laughs> well, that'll have to be a no. I can't really yeah, I think yeah. the want to have someone at, at something so deeply personal is odd. Yeah. Um, fuck, it's, a, it's pretty profound, hey? Yeah. It's like a release. I think I feel like he's talking about the sweet relief of trying not to hold on to it all, trying not to give meaning to something so meaningless. But also, yeah, that, the kind of contentment you feel when you realise, well, when he realised that it, 
done really nothing really matters anyway. So it's all it's all good. Yeah, We're there's all nothing good you can, here, baby. Nothing you can do about it. Yeah, it is. I think contentment is such a good point, isn't it? Mm. It's like I remember having a moment when I was like, ugh, like seventeen, where I was just like looking and looking. You look and like, even like I think when I was early twenties, I hit a moment where I was like, who am I? What am I? What am I? And then I was just like, ah, I just I'm me. hit a point where you're like i just i'm who i am and i'm different with you than i like i'm just like i just exist and when you hit that moment of like realization of just like um it's a it's a very freeing freeing, yeah Yeah. i think he's talking about something slightly different but not wanting to get too political or too like into this but i had a similar thing in my early 20s when like i i would describe myself as an atheist but it took me a really long time to say that. But when I was able to finally get to a point where that's what I, I believe, um, it was really freeing. It was this really nice little moment of like, oh, oh, that's it's all good then. Like yeah, it's everything, just, it's all good. It was like I was so I, I so battled with that and didn't want to to say yeah. that and didn't want to feel that way. And then when I did. And that's with all due respect to what everybody else believes. I'm just saying for me, it was this real like, oh, well, now that I've accepted that that's how it is for me. It's yeah, actually, no. it's actually a very nice feeling. I've, I've, I, I remember having exactly the same like mm. like thing of just like I was raised Catholic, and it's not all about religion, but I think there are those moments where you get so so far into realizing how pointless it is that you or like how um, pointless the whole thing is, where you just sort of like initial that initial thought can be quite. Mm. burdensome and heavy and you explore it and you get and sometimes you get further than that you get deeper into that and when you get properly properly deep in that you feel a certain i think contentment a certain peace he describes it as a happiness which is really profound yeah that's like, right it's like a sweet sweet release the sweet mm. sweet like that that the, that he's <clears throat> dying and people hate him and it but it, it's not about we attach everything to the but it's like it doesn't and that my dear friends is the absurd. <laughs> <laughs> very, very bringing good. it back, bringing it back, which I love. I love very that. Good. But yeah, because well, you know the whole thing is uh, the abs- absurdism in you know the philosophical context, not the comedy stuff. Is like uh, how absurd it is that people go to great lengths to be like, but no, it all means this, and you know, putting mm. you know either a li- religious religious belief or uh, other philosophical beliefs. It's. Do you know what I find really interesting? Because I remember, because I I I remember studying this in literature, but also knowing about absurdist theatre, like um, like Ionesco and and Beckett, and you know I read a little bit about that, and Mish would know a little bit yeah, about yeah. that as well. And I remember lecturers and stuff saying, "Oh, these are they're different things. It's the same word, but they're different concepts." But what's really interesting. And and also again, I do absurdist comedy, and I'm not going to dig too deep. I don't want to be an architect, you know, the way they like talk about. It. It's like you just built a fucking house. Shut up. <laughs> 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 like I don't want to get too. It, but there is a synergy between all of these things, in that it's about like I think absurdism and absurdity is about showing the innate. It's about breaking apart these sort of symbols and these structures that we put onto our lives. Yeah, like, it's the, the removing of the, but why? It's like sometimes just is. Because that's, that's yeah, the thing I think like with Waiting for Godot is like yeah. people are like, what does this represent and what does this represent? And there's all these sort of like almost um, 
like uh, like dog whistles or like there's all these things all through that show that that makes an academic mind want to analyze it. And the more you just do it, it's just like it just is. It just is. Mm. Like it's about like that show has all this imagery, but it's not about anything. Right. It, mm. Not know? everything has it. I struggle with that. I struggle really hard with doing that. And it happens when I watch sci-fi as well. And you and Sam are constantly telling me, just accept that it is. That that's just how that is, and you right. let the story like, But why is that? Why is, why is like that like that? that? Why yeah. does it sound because like that? Because we're we're so analytical. Yeah. We're, we're built that way now. Like that's the way society's going. And I think absurdism as a as a in comedy and in theatre, I think actually is trying to in its art make the, a similar point, which is just let go of yeah. the search of me, for meaning and structure and narrative and cohesiveness and story and and me- meaning and just just accept it for what it is and it's you're just going to have a much more fun time yeah i i, I when i was looking into Camus, apparently because you know, he's obviously such a very a very famous person as a writer and a philosopher and things like that but apparently he hated how there were like people that dedicated their lives to like studying him and all the academics that were trying to find meaning in his stuff he'd be like I hate that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. The whole point of my thing is that there's no meaning. You're you know? missing it. You're missing yeah, the bloody the, point. People like their lives, but the meaning <laughs> became about what he had said, and he didn't yeah. like that. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild. It's like because I, I know that Gotto. I've heard the same things about Gotto about um, uh, Beckett, and mm. and that he like there was apparently th- like he put imagery in his plays. Because people were analysing his works. <laughs> so he would put imagery in his works in order to make them go on these big fucking lifelong PhD <laughs> thing. What does the religious imagery, imagery represent? And it's like it, nothing. Like literally Yeah, yeah I just nothing. put that in there. Yeah. Like bit it doesn't fun. it doesn't yeah. represent anything and really and, it's just kind of like for a bit of fun. It's yeah. Like, well yeah. it's like life, you know, <laughs> like you you're digging a little mm. deep here, guys. Just yeah. step back and, and, and let it be, you know. Mm. And that's, as the great um, Beatles once said, just let it be. <laughs> that was beautiful, man. Wow. But that's the myth of Sisyphus, isn't it? It's that idea of the rolling up the hill. For it. Oh, yeah, yeah the to- toiling just going is. over and over again and mm. a pointless task over and over again. Yeah, just, 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 just be in the rolling. <laughs> just keep rolling. As, as, um, as uh, Dory said, just keep r- swimming or rolling. <laughs> Very good. And that is the absurd. <laughs> I was doing so good and then I started. No, that's great. Right well, at the, end. the only the, the last question about, apart from just giving a score out of five is, and, and then people have talked about this for a long time. Why did he kill that man on the beach? A lot of, and there's no real answer. Well, based off what Zach just kind of said. Then no reason. Is it because he, he could, said, because, because it was he could. hot? Yeah, it was because it was hot. Yeah, because it's really hot. Did that. Is you know make him not think properly? I think it was because it was this hot. Man. That's what he said. Yeah. Also because of you know institutionalized Ex- racism and colonialism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. And the fact that he he doesn't feel much remorse <laughs> for um, taking I that think, man's life. I think the modern world has helped us see that maybe it's because he was a racist soft boy. But. <laughs> <laughs> 
2021, it's because he's a racist soft boy. But in 1942, he's sweaty. <laughs> it's because it's hot. I think that's the point, isn't it? It's like, don't don't dig, don't dig. Just, mm. just he killed him because he killed him, and it's a mm. shitty thing to do. And, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, question finally answered. <laughs> the, uh, what would you score it out of five, Mish? Ooh. Which I know is a very tough question. I think we should give it. Could, I think we should give it a Leguistamo. <laughs> yeah, what, what's your Leguistamo rating? How much do you give it? This gets a, a total of zero Leguistamos. Yeah. Of course, There's, the higher the rating, the more Leguizamo was in. I the, feel like there was absolutely no element of Leguizamo in this film. I'm looking at Zach and he's found somewhere that there's yeah. a Leguizamo. Yeah, I got, I got some. Okay. Okay, I would say, in my opinion, I'm going to go with zero Leguistamos. Yeah. But as a book, from what you've told me, I'm going to go with two. Two out of five. Yes. Wow. Mm. There's some like... Only because I, I, I like to analyse stuff. Do you know what I mean? I like to have answers. It's something I'm trying to break with a lot of, like, film and stuff like that. But I really like to know why. Well, I think this has that. Like, I mean, this you can read um, essays. Like, this guy this guy was doing, like, this was pre-Enter the Matrix, you know? <laughs> <laughs> can we get a fact check on that? Like, like he wrote essays that like made the. So if, if you like digging, this this was write... a book that you could dig. You know, you could read the essays that went with it. You could read his philosophy. Yeah, but I don't want to do that much reading. I just got through the book, and the book was hard enough. <laughs> um, no, I w- I'm going to give it two. I thought it was good, um, but it's just not my typo book. Yeah, that's fair. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, I haven't read a book in like five years. So. I love do enjoy a read i I do like to read too i like reading twitter i can imagine i would get 10 pages into this and put it down yeah that's That's the the opening was my favorite bit oh okay well then maybe i'd get out halfway and be like fuck why didn't it live up to the opening yeah yeah yeah. the first chapter i was like Um, whoa yeah and i'm i love a bit of a classic i genuinely do this it just wasn't my vibe that's cool but i would give the hanging out with you two a five out of five. Oh, oh nice. Just nice. Make that real clear. Can I have you done um Slaughterhouse Five? I have not. Would you like to come and talk about that one day? Yeah, but I won't be very funny because I love that. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> I'll come on and I'll be like, Yep, that's great. <laughs> yeah. How good was that bit? That bit was good. I was just thinking about like books I've read. Um, cause I haven't read much of late. Um, you know, the, the mobile phone makes it harder. And harder. I know. Uh, I should start a podcast where I like make myself read a book every week. Hey, it helps. It really <laughs> makes you read. It does. I can imagine. Do you do this every single week? No, it's every two weeks I do. That's and then smart. give that's myself smart. a break every now and then with a, yeah, a bit smart. of poetry. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. smart. Um, uh, so for me, stars are hard. I really hate giving stars. That's that's totally fine. Um, because I, I particularly I hate giving. I love giving stars to like, like I don't know. No, I don't like giving stars. I don't like like quantifying, you know, quality. Um, but you know, if you like to pass, that's fine. So, like, am I giving a star to the whole... Th- Leg- Leguistamos, I give it a half a Leguistamo because he's recently just performed in um, Waiting for Godot. 
with yeah. e- Ethan Hawke. That's Hawk. a very good point. A live stream of Waiting for Godot with Ethan Did Hawk. you watch it? No, we haven't yet. We should watch it soon. We should watch it. I really think we soon. might do it this We should do it this week. Okay. Yeah, great. That's very good. But cool. it won't be out this week because this week it's Executive decision. Um, That's right. I give uh, the uh, like I give it five stars just because no I give it four stars no I give it five stars because I'm a wanker um, <laughs> it's going for something four and a half okay it's going for something it's really interesting it's a conversation starter but um you know it's a bit racist. <laughs> <laughs> A contemporary reader, <laughs> yeah, and also the characters aren't very likable. Well, that's the other thing as well. Like, I don't like like this either, but I really love a redeemable quality in characters, whether they're evil mm. or very, very good. And in this particular case, and I've said this of films as well on our podcast, if I get to the end of a movie, or in this case, the end of a book, and I don't care who dies. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Then my investment is low. Gotcha. Does that make yeah. sense? I think that's a better reason. Like that's why for me this was like a two is because I, other than the his girlfriend who seems like she got really screwed on here, and I feel for her because girl, we all been there. Yeah. Um, I I just I didn't care for any of them, and but I think isn't that, that truly the most. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is part of it. Is like well. Who cares about anyone? Yeah, well, that's anything. it. Yeah, it's it's a, it's not making a good case for your book, is it? Where you're like at the end of your book, you're like nothing matters, and you're like including this book. <laughs> I just spent hours reading this. <laughs> I'm gonna give it a four out of five. Okay. Yeah, did enjoy. It. Yeah, the opening chapter of anyone would just you just want to read that online. I really enjoyed that. It's um, it does suck you in, but then yeah, because there are characters that you know you're not really into. And, and it doesn't have much from... plot, does it? It's just like, like it's just stuff happening. Yeah. 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 Yeah, <laughs> yeah on the surface level, it's a very, I guess, a simple tale. Yeah. But then it's just, yeah, the second half is all the mind stuff. Do you reckon in, like, 1944, 43, like, remember when Donnie Darko came out and all the teenage boys were like, you've got to go on the website? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make sense now, but if you go on the website, it makes sense. Do you reckon, like, in high schools in Algeria and Paris, like, teenage, wanky teenage boys were like, you've got to read the myth of Sisyphus? <laughs> <laughs> I know it doesn't make a lot of sense, but if you read the myth of Sisyphus, <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> For sure. That's right. For sure, Camus. <laughs> and that, that callback, that is truly the most absurd. <laughs> we did it. Thank you so much for joining me. Well done. Thank you. I uh, appreciate you being here. And if people want to check out uh, later this week, I'll be on uh, Leguizamo. <laughs> Leguizamo-rama. Yep. I, we give a Leguistamo. Tune in to find out what executive decision gets. Yeah, from memory, it was a good From score. memory, it's a really bloody What's good What's there? Is there any... Has he written a book at all? Yeah, yeah he's written books. We haven't even... He did a graphic t- novel. Oh, that's oh. A great, that would be a great crossover. That would be a cool crossover, wouldn't it? If yeah. I told you about a Leguizamo book. I think oh. he did a graphic novel. Yeah, he was Oh, like, that's good. That'd be cool. All right, that'll be the next crossover between... Yeah. yeah. Obviously, and- after we do the live reading of Very Hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> forgot about that. <laughs> we've, got, we've already made commitments here, guys. <laughs> Uh, if people want to find your pod, of course, they can uh, find it on wherever they're listening to this pod, I assume. But also, you're on Instagram. Yeah, follow yeah. at Mission Zach or at Mish Wittrup or at Zachary Ruain. But go for at Mission Zach and you'll find us through the links. Fantastic. And you've got some screenings coming up in Sydney. Yes, we're doing a screening of Super Mario Brothers on June 11th at the Ritz Cinema in Randwick. 
at 9pm. 8.30 for a 9pm start. Oh, well, for a 9pm intro. And then, I don't know if you know this about us, we can waffle, so we cannot guarantee when the <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And until next time, as I always say here, my sign-off is books forever! <laughs> thank you so much. Bye-bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 